Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Oh, you might have to be listening to it and then you're crying because she's such in the queue. She's... I've gone through at the home I represent the Valentine's Day after the August. So, yeah. I can't get the answers. How are the people going to get the answers? Playing over hard work and to get nothing at the end of it is very, very hard. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion mine with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 bit of a change from yesterday that's for sure looking out the window here uh, it's it's i thought it was going to pour rain from six o'clock this morning but i think the worst is due to happen at 11 um but then as i've been told this morning think of the people in roads <laughs> by the way if you're uh, if you're a tourist and you've just arrived from texas or or wherever it might be and you're used to sweltering temperatures and blue skies well welcome to ireland this is the way we live here and if you want to know why it's very difficult to get a hotel room, it's because people don't come out of the hotels on a day like today, they just look out the window, which is what we're doing here at the moment It's lovely to be with you, and if it's one of those days where you open the curtains and you said nah, I'll try it again tomorrow it, well, hopefully we'll have your company through till 12 o'clock uh, 0818 96 96 96 the phone number, and for texts and whatsapp it's 0833 96 96 96 I'm drawn to all of the amazing photographs of... Um, the Ireland team training at Perth Rectangular Stadium last night. Great photograph on page five of uh, the Irish Times from Kate MacDonald. And she's reporting live from Perth and we'll be going live to Perth very, very shortly. And we'll be telling you where you can watch the game today. Uh, more on that a little later. But hundreds and hundreds of Irish people turned out with homemade banners to welcome the team at Perth Airport ahead of the game, the crucial games against Canada today in the, the Women's uh, World Cup. Many are expecting the atmosphere at the 20,000 capacity Perth Rectangular Stadium today to feel like a home game for Ireland. So if you've taken a half day or maybe you've the day to watch it or maybe you're just thinking it's a day for a high stool or a day for the bed and the television. Well, I think we're in for a real treat today. Uh, Perth, for anyone who knows it, and maybe you have daughters or sons, or maybe you're living there and you're listening to us right now, it's dubbed the most isolated big city in the world. Capital of the state of Western Australia, the state government has schemes in place to lure tradespeople 
from from Ireland to the remote state. And I'll come back to that in a little bit, but just looking at the photographs today, Anya O'Gorman and Chloe Mustaki of the Ireland team training. Uh, and there's Ireland fans, Lisa and James Boland, uh, Linda and Jason Bradley, and uh, a whole host of people. Kitted out like it was Italia 90. And uh, a friend of mine said to me the other day, his son said to him recently, he said, he, they're, they're, he, this is a, a soccer mad house, okay? But he said to me, you won't believe what my son said to me last night. He said, it's a bit like Italia 90, isn't it, Dad? Do you remember that when we won the World Cup? And he thought, well, we didn't win the World Cup, but if you believe we did, I'll leave it at that. But anyway, it's going to be a wonderful game, and hopefully uh, they're up against the odds, that's for sure, but uh, we, we'll come back to that and we'll talk more about it when we go live to Perth very, very shortly. Now, uh, if you'd like to get in touch, 083 396 96 Yesterday was a day that, I suppose if you dream, you could imagine what it would have been like sailing around the Fastnet lighthouse, at a Fastnet Rock, on a luxury yacht. And I've always imagined what it must be like to own one of these beautiful super yachts. Some incredible super yachts have been docking in Cork recently. Eddie English from Sail Cork has been on some impressive millionaire's yachts in his time. Uh, with the, the rain pouring down outside the studio window, we said we would take a look into the lives of the rich and famous and how the other half live. Eddie, good morning to you. Good morning, Gar. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm looking. Um, I'm looking at the the real life succession, uh, which is in Kinsale this morning. Um, a billionaire's eighty million euro super yacht. It casually just pulls into the harbour for a pint at the dock pub, uh, almost like as if you're parking the car and you're saying, "Let's go in here for lunch." And wow, what a ship this is. Have you seen it? Or I, I presume, like me, you've seen the photographs inside it. Yeah, there's uh, another one that was in uh, during the week, Scout. And Scout is currently um, going into the Isle of Wight in England. She's 64 millions worth. And these boats are all uh, in the region of um, th- th- that sort of money. 85 million she cost and the the cost to run them then is 10% of that per annum and believe it or not some of them are as big as the biggest ferry that comes into Cork the Pontavon that the Brittany ferry ship they're they're the biggest super yacht in the world is almost as big as her mm-hmm. so they they're fantastic the luxury is just beyond belief um I was fortunate enough to go aboard a, a vessel called Indian Achiever in the Caribbean on one occasion with an English friend of mine who's uh, very, very wealthy. Uh, he'd be certainly be a millionaire. And to see him going around the boat with his jaw dropped in awe at the wealth that was poured into this Indian Achiever vessel. They're like the best hotel in the world and the service is as good as the best hotel in the world. Do you know that you're actually, are you aware that you're on a yacht? Like, is, is it a case of you could be in someone's mansion um, drinking champagne and eating caviar? <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because um, about three years ago, I was lucky enough 
to cruise the south coast of Ireland on a 120 footer and it felt like being in a hotel a lot of the time as opposed to being on a yacht it was missing the feeling of being close to the water and everything else now the luxury was fantastic the food was amazing the company was was excellent and the boat cut through the water beautifully she was a sailing yacht as opposed to a motor yacht um but there was there was something missing definitely and what do you think that was and that was the fact that you were so far removed from the yeah. elements uh, unless you were up there driving on the bridge but that was like sitting on top of a mountain you were so high up yeah you know and when um, when, when, these, when it begins to cruise when it when it picks up speed what is that sensation like oh absolutely amazing um i was fortunate enough to drive that yacht or to helm that yacht up the up kenmare bay and it was just a feeling that I will never, ever forget. Um, just amazing to have this luxurious item moving at this speed. Um, and to think that she's only a pipsqueak size, the one I was on. <laughs> she was only 120 feet long, like the biggest. <laughs> yeah. The biggest in the world is 180 metres long, and she's worth 600 million. So I've and I've I've seen some of the biggest one. Everyone will know the name of Roman Abramovich, yeah. the the Russian um, millionaire or multi zillionaire or whatever you want to call him. But his vessel, I saw that in um, Croatia, just south of Dubrovnik. And the biggest sailing yacht in the world is a, a vessel called A, just the letter A. And we've come across her in Mallorca on a number of occasions. Not a nice looking vessel. The last vessel into Kinsale, the motor yacht Scout, was a lovely looking boat. Mm. So for those who were in the know and those who were into, into boating, the look counts as well. And Scout is a fairly impressive, I think it's 70 metres long, isn't it? Anyone who's run a 100 metre race will, will know what a 100 metres is. It's about three quarters that. Yeah, she, she's actually 64 metres um, long and uh, she cost 85 million. She's owned by an American family, the Berwyn family, and she costs about 8 million uh, a year to run. Uh, that's the sort of. A lot of these boats then are put out for charter for part of the year to recoup some of the massive expense it costs to run these vessels and um, there's a TV series below decks at the moment that uh, gives us an idea of what it's like. Alright, is that on one of the streaming channels, yeah? Um, no, it's on um, oh goodness, I can't remember what channel it's on. Right. Oh, we must we must look up that. That's interesting. I'd love to actually watch that. This the scout, by yeah. the way, I, it it has four. It can cater for ten guests, and it has fourteen staff to look after their every need. Isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, it's it's amazing that you know some of the boats that I sail on would be let's say less than fifty feet long, and they can accommodate as many as twelve people. <laughs> Uh, so yeah. we're slumming it uh, with the, with 12 people and maybe um, a, a skipper, whereas these big, huge luxury motor yachts and yachts, they um, have a, a very, very different ratio and there's more staff than, than guests aboard. And uh, the guest rooms are amazingly well-appointed. Um, 
they're, you know, just like a, a five-star hotel or a six-star hotel if such a thing exists. And to think that these things can move through the water and you can be in a new place every every single day. So absolute luxury, mm. but the thrill of moving on the water as well. Yeah. Brexit has changed everything, hasn't it? It, it means that a huge amount of yachts are, are docking off the Cork and Kerry coastlines. We're seeing increased numbers um, this year, certainly, of English uh, and British vessels coming in along the south coast of Ireland. And we're also seeing a lot of um, French boats. Uh, I think the French don't want to go to the UK and the English don't want to go to France. And we're also seeing um, a number of Scandinavian, in particular Swedish boats, uh, coming in on the south coast of Ireland. And the most popular part of the coast would be from Cork Harbour down as far as Dingle Bay and um, you, you see some amazing uh, little boats coming in and this is a very different kettle of fish to the luxury yachts we're talking about. These are all you know, maybe 50 feet long at the most, 30-40 feet long and some of them the American ones may have crossed the Atlantic and the Scandinavian ones have made a fair journey and uh, they love Ireland, despite the uh, the climate that we have. They love Ireland. Uh, they love the food here. They love the crack here. And uh, it's great to see so many of them coming in. We need more facilities for them. Yeah. Uh, and you'll see them in, in, in bigger numbers again. And they're a good tourist because they spend a few bob. Absolutely. What would the challenge be like crossing the, the Atlantic in, in one of the, not so much the big scout-style cruisers, but one of the as I was going to call it, one of the ordinary ones, which is still pretty high on the desirability front. What would the challenge be like there? Yeah, like I would have uh, a knowledge of boats that are uh, between 40 and 50 feet long. And I would have a number of friends who would have done transatlantics in their own boats uh, or come back from the Caribbean in another boat. And it is a big challenge. It requires a lot of planning. And um, it requires a very seasoned um, crew or at least the management of the crew need to be very seasoned. And um, every year there's um, what's now become a famous event, the Arc Atlantic Rally Cruise. Uh, and the word cruise means it's not out and out racing, but it's, it's, it's sort of going in company and the feeling of being safe going across the Atlantic. And there's over 100 vessels cross with this every uh, November from the Canary Islands to um, the Caribbean. Uh, so it is a big challenge and the ultimate challenge for some people. Just like the Fastnet race that's on at the moment is the ultimate challenge in racing for many people. Mm. And by God, did they get some challenge last Saturday night oh God, when yeah. they came out of the Solent, the body of water between uh, the mainland and the Isle of Wight um, they were just absolutely hammered. I've been tracking the race uh, and speaking to some friends who were involved in the race. That's the great thing about communications nowadays. I was able to speak to the guys in the race and they got absolutely hammered for the first part of the race. And then yesterday, God loved them, they were lolling about, just doing about one or two miles an hour because there was so little wind. Hmm. Most of the guys I know now have rounded the Fastnet Rock and are heading down to go around Land's End and on to Cherbourg in France where the race finishes. So that's a big challenge as well. Eddie, it's great to talk to you and it's, it's like on a rainy day you can create this beautiful image of sunshine and blue skies and you know all of us sort of clinking glasses on a, on a, a sort of 200 metre long yacht. So thank you for that. 
Yeah, well, I tell you now, there's no blue skies here. We're about to put a large group of junior sailors afloat. We have some adult powerboaters to go afloat, and we're planning on how we're going to get them all into dry areas at lunchtime so they can get a respite from that rain that's to come. Yeah. So I... the Irish weather, a great challenge. Absolutely. Great to talk to you, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Take care. Eddie English there from Sale Cork. You're listening to Cork's 96FM. It's the Opinion Line. Gareth O'Callaghan in for PJ Coogan for a couple of weeks. 0833 96 96 Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 0833 96 96 This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Now, pr- pr- pretty miserable old day here in Cork City and County. I'm not too sure what the weather is like in Perth uh, this this afternoon it's 25 past 4 over there the game starts tonight at 8 o'clock local time and uh, I'd imagine where are we now we're looking at late July so weather might not be unlike the way it is here at the moment let's go to Brisbane uh, to Danielle Burke who you know plays for Cork City FC she attended the last game and she'll be watching it in the fan zone in Brisbane tonight Uh, hi Danielle Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Um, I'm looking at all of the newspapers covering the arrival of the team and uh, there's a great photograph, as I mentioned earlier, of Onyo Gorman and Chloe Mustaki training at Perth Rectangular Stadium last night. Huge photographs all over the place of the Irish fans turning out to meet them at the airport. And then uh, the boss shrugging, as she says herself, with that Dutch determination, we lost the first so now we have to win the second. Uh, from your point of view, this is going to be a very tough game against Canada this evening, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a must-win for both the teams, so they'll be throwing everything at it. So I think it'll be very tough, but I think we'll get a result. So if if we win, we qualify for the last 16. If, if Canada... Well, we're not entirely out if we lose today, are we? No, um, it would just kind of depend on how other results go, but a win here today would be great. It would put us in the driving seat to to qualify, definitely. Tell me about the atmosphere. Like It it must have lit up the lives of Irish people who've been living away from home for years and years. Uh, We were kind of likening it to Italia 90. You might not remember that, but I think (laughs) people of a certain age, maybe your parents and their friends will definitely remember uh, the 1990 World Cup in Italy when Ireland went berserk. Are Irish residents in Australia behaving the same way? Are they going mad over this tournament? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It was mad. Like the opening game in Sydney, just being around the stadium before it started, it was like being outside the Aviva Artala, the amount of Irish people there and, you know, everyone singing and and chanting. And even when the game finished, you know, the result obviously didn't go our way, but, you know, the Irish were there in full voice. You know, they didn't stop cheering or anything like that. So it's just been unreal to see. There's just been so much Irish everywhere. Yeah, and I'm looking at all of the jerseys and the scarves. Uh, is all the bunting out, the Irish flag everywhere? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you definitely see it. You know, going down a street or whatever, there's Irish pubs and they're all covered in the tricolour. But even just passing people like in the street, you know, every second person is wearing a football shirt and, you know, there's a lot of them Irish. So it's just, it's unreal to see. And I think there are still some tickets available, aren't there? Um, yeah, definitely for the this game and for the, the last group game, there will definitely be still tickets there. So hopefully there's a big crowd at both of them. 
Well, from what we can gather here this morning, we're a long way away from where you are, but we're getting the feeling that the place is going to be crammed uh, later on this evening. Um, Sinead O'Sullivan is also on the line, a little bit closer to us. Uh, uh, Denise O'Sullivan's sister from Knocknaheeny. Hi, Sinead. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. What's the feeling like in the house there today? Buzzing. Buzzing. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. So, uh, it's amazing. Oh, my God. Um, we're just getting organised there now and getting the kids together and getting the flags together and getting the banners and getting the people together and we're going to go off to Murphy's Rock. There are now a few of us at 10 o'clock just to organise the place and um, everyone then be following up about 12 on, you know? Yeah. There's a great crowd. There's a great, great crowd. Great support. So uh, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be a great game. Were you talking to Denise today? I wasn't. No, she's too busy. <laughs> Denise don't have time to ring us. Denise, we're, like, she, she'll ring my mum. And you know there's 10 of us, so she can't get through to every one of us. Okay. <laughs> so it's a lot of kinds of WhatsApp and texting. And um, we'll talk to her maybe later, now if we can, after the game. And hopefully it's a win. Yeah. And yeah. like the last time she was on to mum now, what was? how did she feel about the, 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 the whole build-up to the game today? She's good. She's good. She's positive. Um, nervous. Mixed feelings, but yeah. overall, um, excited. She's like her, her. The last last message I got last night was, "We're buzzing for it." So look, you know, that's yeah. a good kind of message, isn't it? Um, like I mean, the Australian Ireland game. Oh my God, the atmosphere there was unreal, wasn't it? God, unreal. Unbelievable. It, it really like, was. Yeah. Oh was. my God. It just so, took me back to when, and I remember it. I remember. I remember coming home from work that day. I can't remember which game it was. It was probably the first game, uh, which was against Italy, and mm. uh, in Cagliari, I think was where the stadium was. And I remember the city was just empty. It was like as if everybody had just left. And of course, everybody was in pubs. You couldn't get into pubs. Um, school halls, uh, yeah. community halls. It was just unbelievable. And I'm getting the feeling that's what it's like there. Oh, it is, I'd say, definitely. Hopefully it'll be the same here today, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have the whole lot of Ireland behind the girls. They deserve it. Oh, God, They deserve yeah. it so much. Danielle, um, the, Danielle Burke is also there, uh, playing yeah. with Cork City. What, like, what are our chances realistically today? Um, I think we have a very good chance. I think Canada kind of play quite similar to how we do. Um, it's very hard to score against either either team. So I think just as long as we take our chances when when we get them, then I think we'll be we'll be fine. Now there was a big worry about Louise Quinn, wasn't there? Yeah, um, I think she had hurt her foot. That's right. Um, in the Australian game, but I think she's okay to play. Right. Oh, that's good news. That's good. Jesse mm-hmm. Jesse Fleming. I think she's playing as well, yeah. But, you know, Denise in midfield will have her in her pocket, so it's grand. That's great. Okay, I love your confidence. That's what we need to hear. <laughs> That's what we need to hear. So where are you going to watch the game this evening? You're in the fan zone, yeah? The fan zone in uh, Brisbane, yeah, in Southbank. It's it's unreal. Like, there's a load of people down there already, so it'll be a good good atmosphere down there, I'd say. What is it like, the fan zone? Can you describe it first? It's just like an outdoor area with like a really big screen and it's showing all the games and there's like little pop-up bars and restaurants around there and it's just on the water. Like it's it's just unreal. Yeah. Never seen anything like it. Half a million people watched the first game here actually last week, uh, which is incredible for a match that's on during the day, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, the times, time difference, I'd say people were kind of worried that they wouldn't be able to get to watch it, but that's unbelievable. And I take it everybody has taken the day off work tomorrow. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah. I would hope so, yeah. All right. Well, look, enjoy the game. Um, we'll be we'll be watching here. Sinead, where, where is it happening again? I know it's in Murphy's Rock. Is it open from 12? Um, yeah, Murphy's Rock. So the doors will open at 12 for everyone. So, um, yeah, whoever's off and whoever can make it up. Come and join us. It's going to be a great day. And I know the um, turn has crossed out doing a big game. Outdoor screen now, obviously, weather dependent as well. So yeah. I don't know. But that's what's going on as well. There's a few places, a few venues from Cork doing. There's a lot going on. So, but come up to us in Murphy Block. I mean, the atmosphere is going to be fantastic. Yeah. I have the air code here for anyone who might know how to get to it. It's T23. D215 so T23 D215 how did we ever think a bunch of numbers and letters would get us exactly to the location we don't even need an address have a great day today Sinead and uh, we'll be thinking of Denise and the team perfect thanks very much and your mother's nerves will be fried no doubt oh yeah all of ours will (laughs) (laughs) Okay, great to talk to you thank you Danielle thanks very much bye 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 thank you thank you best wishes to everybody there in Brisbane and uh, to all of you at the fan zone watching the game in Perth Uh, the game it's local time in Perth it'll be 8 o'clock kickoff tonight uh, which is uh, what time is it now about half past 4 in Perth and uh, great atmosphere building there now you're listening to the opinion line we're with you through till 12 midday you can get in touch with us of course Uh, our number if you want to comment or if you would like to come on and have a chat. It's 0833 96 96 96. Kelly Clarkson, and since you've been gone, she's a television chat show host now. And now that Oprah is no longer live on television in the afternoons, Kelly Clarkson is filling the gap beautifully, I have to say. Uh, I was watching a lot of it when I was recovering in the South Infirmary. And it's really a very addictive show. She has um, a, a very passionate sort of feel about the, the program very little ego um, uh, and but definitely very very much into her guests and uh, really lively stuff if you haven't seen it it's worth watching now West Cork postmistress Bridie Roycroft is fighting to save the heart of her community uh, a charming rural post office in West Cork a line of people waiting to congratulate her she recently purchased the building so she can continue to serve her community for many many years to come and this is her workplace she's described as a veteran postmistress who has been at the heart of the community for more than four decades doing all she can to keep the doors open you know, I think while people don't want to see their local Garda stations closed down in rural parts of the country, um, what we tend to forget is that the post office is at the heart of the community when it comes to these small towns and villages. And it provides not just a postal service, but it's almost like a drop-in point where you can call in, you can get advice. But the beautiful thing about this particular post office is that it's also like a craft fair, local crafts, local artists who make candles, some beautiful paintings, CDs of music from local artists as well. And uh, what we'll do is we'll actually, cro- we'll, we'll tell you what we'll do, we'll talk to Bridie in a couple of minutes. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96FM.
FM. Now, local post offices all over Ireland uh, have taken a hammering in recent years. Many of them have vanished off the face of the earth. Uh, some of the some of the, the, the postmasters and postmistresses who operate the post offices have gone to all sorts of lengths to try to either move the post office to an alternative location so that they can keep the post office service running. And one of those is Bridie Roycroft, and she's in Bally de Hub this morning. Hi, Bridie. Good morning. Now, you sound like uh, a woman with serious determination because you overcame what I would have said were impossible odds considering the way Unpost has treated local communities in recent years. They have literally said, right, that's gone, that's gone, this sorting office is gone. But you defied the odds, didn't you? Well, I suppose I I called the public's attention to the situation and I asked for the community's help, which I was very happy to receive. Uh, I'm not champion, really. It is the people of the community are the champion because I told them, I made them aware that it's their input into the post office will keep it. You know, we're assessed by how much business we are doing, what we do. Um, without, without the people, without the customers, we wouldn't have enough salary to keep us going, you know. Tell me about a typical day in the life of a, a rural post office. What time do you open at? Well, we do. I'm the old contract, so I I open from nine to one and from two to five thirty. Right. And uh, the newer contracts, um, I got an offer to you know do away with my lunchtime, but because I was on the old contract, they allowed me you know close for lunchtime, which is wonderful. I can go home and sit in the garden for ten or fifteen minutes, so it's just great. Um, but um, you know, you know, like in past times, pensions was the main impetus in the post office. Like, I mean, pensions, pensions, pensions. We were crying out for pension, social welfare, but those days are kind of gone, really. Uh, I have a fine crowd of lovely new pensioners who came to me recently, which is great. They'll be my own age group, and they're very much aware that if they put their pension in the bank, we, they won't be a local post office. So I have a nice, a nice little bit of pension still. Mm-hmm. Uh, child benefit is probably nearly gone. I'd say maybe I would only have a very small amount of child benefit at the moment. The emphasis nowadays really is on bill behave, banking. Uh, you know, we do leap cards for travel. There's savings. There's the from post banking. So there's quite there's quite a bit. We've branched out. It's a very wide, it's a very wide service. You and know, you you also provide the likes of forms for passports. Um, and and other government services, don't you? Absolutely, social welfare, social welfare forms, obviously, like social welfare was our backbone, as I say, it was the backbone of the unpost business, you know, but I'm afraid what happened was which which technology, people started just putting their stuff in the bank and things like that, and about six years ago, you know, I had had a big meeting, and it may be eight years ago, no, I can't remember, and uh, I was crowded with people. People were absolutely great. They came to the meeting. They came in afterwards. They transferred pensions. They did everything. And we did really, really well until COVID arrived. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid with COVID, um, the pension, pensioners fell off again because people were afraid to come out. I mean, we survived very nicely during, during COVID. Um, but, you know, since COVID, I noticed a real downfall again in the, in the business, you know. So um, I'd be hoping to remind people just, you know, to come and just make that little effort, you know. I mean, most people in this village will go to the bigger towns for their big shop. We have a 
super supermarket down here at the filling station who supplies us with absolutely everything. But as you know, the people will do the big shop in the big supermarket. And unfortunately, then they will pop into the nearest post office there or whatever, you know. And where would, so the, ne- where would the nearest big supermarket be to you? Uh, Scabrina Bantry. Scabrina right. Bantry. Yeah, yeah. Scabrina Bantry. A, a fine Aldi there in Bantry, actually, that was recently opened. Isn't that right? Yeah. I, I think there's a little and there's a super value in oh, Scabrina. Right, yeah. There's something, there's a little and a supermarket in an Aldi. But like I said, we have a very, a very good supermarket here in the village and people will go there for their for their daily bread, let's say, and their, you know, basics. And it takes very little effort to do a little bit to bring their business to the village. Do you know, mm. it's a small village. We need we need their input to survive. And we're doing very nicely, but we could do better. And it's worth mentioning for many people who are, you know, technically, technically adept with, with, you know, computers and online, many, many people still haven't got skills to deal with things online. And that's where you come in, isn't that right? Well, no, in the, la- in the last year or so, the government are very aware of that. And they have decided to subsidise the small post offices. So th- they're putting an input into KPS here for that particular reason. You know, there's many, many people younger than myself even who wouldn't be computerised or who wouldn't be able to manage these things. Yesterday I spent an hour on the phone for a customer uh, trying to sort out a customs packet they've been missing for him. And that gentleman wouldn't be able to do that himself, you know. Mm. And they're the kind of services we give. I mean, you walk into the bank and they drive you towards a machine and they tell you what to do. Whereas if you come to the post office, we're here to help. Like, and I suppose we have bit maybe extra time to do it nowadays. But uh, that's the service we offer. And you also so, you, you also meet people you know in, in the queue waiting to get to the counter, don't you? Oh, sure, for goodness sake. We know everybody who comes in every early. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the beauty of it. I mean, yeah. that's why I love being here. I'm yeah. here for the last 43 years. I know everybody. I know, I know all about them. And, you know, they come and they share their problems, which is in everything. And uh, as I always say, it's like the confessional box. It's all confidential. You know, we're very confidential. It's, it's um, obviously mm. a and legal requirement to be very confidential. Of course. But um, it just adds to the service. People come and they have a problem and they have a marriage problem or they have a, a sick child or they have something and they're inclined to share it with me, you know. Yeah. And... I feel I'd be a great counsellor if I wasn't doing this job. <laughs> I, I was just going to say that because I'd say, I, you, you know, the sort of advice to dispense and suggestions to make in different situations, I'd say. Well, I suppose a lifetime of experience and yeah. after rearing four children of my own and being married for, for the 40 years as well would be would be kind of a, a bonus, <laughs> I suppose, you know. Yeah. You can beat the older head. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's um, it's a very localized business, really. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, and yeah. as you say, you don't get that in the bank. Uh, you know that they, if, if you're lucky enough to get to a counter, usually you're you're directed towards a machine. Um, yes, a lot of talk yeah. about rural isolation in recent years as well, Brady. Like how how isolated are people? particularly couples whose children have grown up and they've left, and they may be abroad, they may be in the city. Uh, it, it that's a difficult change to, to, to get used to, isn't it? It is definitely something that is happening in rural Ireland, but like with communities like we have here, and we really have a great community, there is always somebody watching out for somebody, you mm. know? I mean, people have their panic button, there's two or three people on it, if there's a fright or a fall or whatever, you know, they're very quick to contact somebody and people are very willing to help out, you know? So I wouldn't be overly worried about people. I think that there's a great service, there's great home helps going to houses around the country and everything. So I think, like, definitely the people that just come out on the Friday to draw the pension, it was an outing for them. And that was a bonus to them because they came here and they met people and, you know, 
choppier as well. So, I mean, they're standing in the queue, they're looking around, they're talking to people, they're seeing what's on the shelf. And I think that is, it's, it's good for their mental health, it's good for their, their general health mm. to come out, to come out and meet people. Yeah, and of course, as we all know, there are, there are very high levels of male suicide in rural areas too. Have you become consciously aware of that? Um, yes, obviously, we, we hear about it. I mean, we don't concentrate on it. I'm afraid I'm one of these people who only think about the positive things in mm. life. You know, I mean, bad news is no good for anybody. So um, I like to concentrate on the board. Mm. And as you say, community is vital, not just from the post office point of view, but... Um, as, as it were, stocking the shelves with beautiful candles and CDs full of local musicians' music? I've been here for years and years, and I've been, you know, tourists will always come to the post office for a stamp or whatever in times gone by, and they'd always wonder where could they get local craft. And I got this notion six years ago that we would open a craft shop and people put their stuff on the shelves, and I charge a percentage, and it worked beautifully. So we've gorgeous jewellery, and as you say, um, Pottery, giftware, knitting, crochet, baby clothes—all uh, kinds of things. All uh, kinds of things. Small amount of everything. Yeah, and I see. But, a, um, I see a little table just beside your counter there, which is full of books. These would be local books. Would they books all about these, the locality? All these fantastic local authors we have there lately. We have loads of books there from Lydia Little writer Stephen Redmond, the great swimmer. Yeah. A new one this past week, Fiona York, and of course, you know, the extraordinary women, Carrie Minahan. All those books are doing absolutely fabulously well, and uh, they're here on the co- on the on the tables. You know, it's lovely to be able to sell local stuff. What, sell what, local stuff. what do the tourists think when they call in? For example, the Americans. What do they make of the the post office? Actually, the they shop? think we're the quaintest corner in the world, <laughs> and they love it. And they look at my pictures up here beside the counter and my photographs, and it's a. They're always delighted to come in the door. Yeah. yeah. Are you, you're, you're open at the moment. Have you a queue there in front of you? I have a queue in front of me. I've noticed on the door saying open in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully so, you'll grab a cup of tea before you open the door anyway. Yeah, that's, that's already done. It's that's great. already done. Okay, great to talk to you this morning and continued success. You really are the life of the community there, Bridie. Love that you talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank Take you. Care. That's Bridie Roycroft. Uh, well, she, she, she says that uh, she, she sounds very, very modest when she says that it's actually the community that made it a success. But call into her in Ballydahob. She's the postmistress there. You might have to get at the end of a, of a long queue, but while you're there, have a look at some of the, uh, the beautiful candles and um, beautiful produce, beautiful knitwear, beautiful books as well. And there's some lovely calendars. Uh, with the gorgeous scenic shots and photographs of West Cork around the Berry Peninsula. Now, our number, again, if you would like to contact us, is 0833 96 96 96. Yesterday, the government announced that free IVF treatment will be available to certain people from September. But the availability of the treatment uh, may depend on your age, your body mass index. So that's basically, are you... Weight-wise, are you suitable for the treatment? Uh, although, mind you, there are question marks over why you should be excluded on your BMI reading, but also your gender. The plans have come in for major criticism in the last 24 hours. I've been reading a lot on it this morning, and uh, it's a very, very hot topic. The government are looking to replicate the Scottish model. John is on the line to me. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, what do you think of Stephen Donnelly's initiative here? Uh, discrimination, discrimination, discrimination. Simple as that. The, the age cut-off point, 
um, the whole thing about the obesity and everything, body mass index, the whole lot. Like if you, God, if you go to a private clinic, obviously you will be advised. I mean, if you're uh, very overweight and you're trying to get pregnant, your GP will even advise you to lose weight. But to be automatically cut out, right, I mean, and stigmatised, you know, uh, if you go to a private clinic, you won't be treated like that. You will be advised, but you definitely won't be discriminated against. Like, and I think it's outrageous. But look, I'm not surprised that this present minister, I'll be honest, but I presume he is advised behind him, and I don't think he was advised properly. I don't think he's up to the job in, in any case anyway, but... The age cut-off point as well. Look, there's a lot of people now, and you're not supposed to have any kids at all just carry on the community for going for the treatment, but the the whole thing is that there are people now, not as just doing last like they did before, Gareth, and people that have new partners. And look, even if they had one kid, right, they might want a, a child with that new partner, right? Mm-hmm. So, but that cuts them out completely, Right. Mm-hmm. Also, like I mean, like uh, single people or people of same-sex marriage. I mean, like two women, we say. I mean, and if they if they want to be invested, they're cut out of the equation. So there's no sense of discrimination going on here, and I think it's highly insulting. I think highly insulting. And I'm looking at the uh, the exclusion. Um, different sections of, of, of like there there are more exclusion situations here than inclusive situations. Anyone who's already undergone more than one round of privately funded IVF will be excluded. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, it kind of strikes me that w- when you consider that the Scottish model excludes women aged forty one and over, um, and there's a similar situation here. What? Would it not be the case that most women who would want to take part in this free IVF would be over the age of 41? Well, this is it, because people are having their families. I mean, if you go through the social history of this country, you see, like, I mean, people are having kids, and, uh, I mean, they talk about teenage pregnancies, but, I mean, people are getting married at 18 and 19 years of age. If you go back to the 50s and the 60s, they had four or five kids by the time they were 25, you know? Mm. So, I mean, the thing is, I mean, society has changed. And change dramatically, and I, I think uh, this, this this present um, policy by the, the head minister, I think, has been completely discriminating. Yeah, definitely. From what I'm, from what I know, from what's being released, information-wise at the moment, uh, three thousand individuals uh, will be able to uh, qualify for this. Three thousand. Mm-hmm. That's not a lot so, of people, is it? Not a lot of people really, and the budget as well. Like I mean, I know will that cover it, you know. But um, no, I, I I feel that there's there's not that discrimination going on in it. I think because as I say, society has changed so much. People are starting their families later on the count of trying. Look, let's be honest. We all know what it's like uh, trying to live now and trying to pay huge mortgages, trying to pay huge rents, trying to you know run a household. I mean, the cost of it alone just to to get by on a weekly basis. So, I mean, the thing is, you know, people are struggling and they do need help in a situation like this. And I think to be penalising people because you're just uh, under 41, um, I, I, I think it's completely uh, discriminating against people. Like Because, look, as I said, people are starting new relationships. Marriages don't last forever anymore, unfortunately. And people want to have a child with their new partner. No, they, they will be to their 40s, maybe. But are they not quite entitled to? No, I know some people have had this argument with one or two people together. They said, why should taxpayers be funding this? Well, I, my answer straight back is, why not? Mm. 
Mm. Is, is this not just spin on the part of the government? Like, let's face it, we're looking at a, a general election, probably late 2024, maybe earlier, maybe early 2025. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just possibly, yeah, because there'd be lots of more, uh, you know, policies now that will be supposed to be for, you know, implemented for the good of, of society. Like, I mean, we, we're talking about giveaway budgets, whatever, quite possibly. Will we go back to 1977 when Jack Lynch party election? With the rates being taken off and the car tax being taken off, will we go that far? I don't know. But definitely there will, there will be lots of giveaway. But look, I hope people won't fall for that gavel because, like, I mean, when the dust settles, you know, after every election, they come in, we get back to the nitty gritty of ordinary life again and the struggles will still be there. Yeah. But this is possibly, like, I mean, a shot across the bow. Now, possibly for the local elections coming for us and the general just to soften up people, by the way, you know, we're so humane. Look what we're doing now. But as I said, I can see huge discrimination right across this 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 policy in here. Yeah, and and when and I'm sure you're not surprised. I mean, uh, ten million. Uh, Stephen Donnelly uh, announcing ten million for the service. That's only a drop in the ocean. That's all. That's all. That's all. That's another. That's, that's another insult. Let's be honest. You know, this thing is riddled, as they say, with with insults and with discrimination. And my opinion, anyway, maybe other people feel different. I don't know. Mm. And just in case there's another clause here, those who have had previous voluntary sterilisation will be excluded. So, yeah, we'll see that again. Here we are again. More discrimination, Absolutely, you know. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's no, no, no. I think it's it's wrong anyway. No, anyway. Right. Good to talk to you, John. Thanks very Good much. Man. Thank Good you. Take thanks. care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah, we'll return to this story after the news. Give us a shout if you want to. We're here with you through till twelve o'clock. And uh, as I say, we'll be talking more uh, about the uh, free in inverted commas, IVF treatment to be introduced according to Stephen Donnelly, Health Minister, in September. Gareth O'Callaghan for PJ uh, this week and next. He's away uh, on a well-earned break and he'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Nice to have your company this Wednesday morning. As we were talking just before the news at 10 with Victoria, eligible couples can receive one free round of uh, in vitro fertilisation IVF treatment from September. That's according to an announcement by Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly and uh, he has secured 10 million euro for the service in budget 2023. 10 million sounds like an awful lot of money when you consider that there are a lot of individuals who would love to avail of this treatment. It's simply just a drop in the ocean. June Shannon is health journalist, um, health journalist actually from Bishopstown, but living in Dorky in Dublin. Hi there, June. Hi Gareth, how are you? Lovely to chat to you. Nice to chat to you too. Now you you you're looking at this from both sides of the fence, aren't you? I am indeed. So I have a uh, my background is in medical and health journalism, but I also have personal um, experience of infertility, where I had five rounds of IVF, um, and we spent twenty five thousand euro on treatments. Um, thankfully, we were one of the lucky ones, and we had a beautiful baby girl in twenty fifteen, who's now seven. Um, but I've also been. Uh, kind of looking at this uh, and I suppose advocating in a way for funding for a long time because as I'm sure you know um, Ireland is one of the very few countries in the EU that doesn't fund any public funding until the announcement yesterday. Mm. What do you make of the amount that is being put forward? When you look at it in the context of the overall health budget it's a drop in the ocean as you said it's minuscule really 
um, you know, if you do a very rough sums, you know, a, an average cycle of IVF, just the cycle itself is can cost between five and six thousand euro. If you are to go with a donor egg cycle, it can go up to eight thousand. Um, and then that's not including all the tests, treatments, blood tests, scans, etc., um, consultants' fees that you do before you even get the treatment itself yeah. um you know and this uh, infertility has been recognized by the world health organization as a medical condition it's also been recognized as a disability it affects one in six couples in ireland um and it's 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 a apart from it being a, a physical condition it's also got a devastating mental health impacts yeah because the process is extremely intense isn't it from the very first from the get-go it's extremely intense. Um, it's emotional. It's like a roller coaster. Um, anyone who's been down the road will understand that. And I don't think anyone who hasn't been down that road is really prepared for it. And I don't want to put people off either because, you know, it's a great it's a great treatment and it does it does work. Um, but I suppose it's to try and be a bit realistic about it. For example, it rarely works full time, first time. It does, of course, sometimes, but not always. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government are currently funding just one cycle. Um, they've also allowed or agreed that if a couple have undergone just one cycle, they've paid for themselves privately, then that couple can uh, be eligible. So you are either had none or one cycle, but a lot of people will know and say that, you know, it, it can take numerous cycles to get any success. And for example, in Britain, the NHS funds up to three cycles. Right. So if you've had three cycles, you're excluded automatically. Oh, um, yeah. If um, you've had two. Yeah. Automatically. Yeah, but in other words, as you say, many many couples would have gone through four and five cycles. So this this treatment, this free treatment, as they're calling it, uh, they're eliminated completely from the get go. Yes, they are yeah. completely. You're eliminated if you've if you've had one cycle. Oh, sorry, more than one. Yeah, June. Can you just for those who are unfamiliar with the whole IVA, IVF journey? as it is um, and for many it's a, it's a journey that lasts for years and years and years can you take us through it yeah of course so I mean it, it, everybody is different so I'll stay by saying that everyone's journey is different this is this was our cycle as such I'll talk from a personal experience so we had difficulty conceiving we went to my GP the GP referred us to a clinic and they were very helpful and a lovely clinic um, and so then what happens is that you they start doing tests to find out, you know, why are you not conceiving? So they, they test the hus- my husband's sperm and um, he had scans, I had scans. And after all these blood tests and, and um, investigations, I suppose, which you pay for, um, it turned out that we had what's called unexplained infertility. So basically about a quarter of infertility problems are female related, uh, a quarter are male related, a quarter are unexplained and the last quarter are a mix of male and female. So we had un- we have unexplained infertility, they didn't know why we weren't conceiving naturally. And just to clarify, yesterday there was some confusion about the reporting with people saying you needed a clinical diagnosis of infertility to be eligible for this treatment. Um, therefore unexplained infertility, people were thinking maybe this isn't included, but in fact it is because unexplained infertility is in itself a clinical diagnosis. So that's just something to clarify. 
So then you go and if you're if you've been told you can do IVF, you go along and you start taking your hormones, your medication, your treatment, your injections to what you're doing is you're stimulating your ovaries to produce eggs. Right. So you could do that over a number of weeks, you stimulate your ovaries, then you go under sedation and the the eggs are retrieved. Um, under sedation and then your husband or your partner whoever's sperm that you're going to use um, is then in the lab mixed the sperm is mixed with the eggs and left overnight to see if the embryos form if the embryos form then you're brought back in at a certain time all this time you're also taking other hormones to build up the lining of your womb so what you're trying to do is kind of match the natural cycle where you would produce mm. eggs and then your womb would line lining would build up and then you go and you the embryo itself if it's been made is inserted into your womb and then you have a two-week wait to see if you're pregnant or not now all those steps can come with uh, problems so for example on one of our cycles our first cycle it was successful but i miscarried at nine weeks another cycle that we had we had the embryos but unfortunately the embryos that we created all failed overnight so we had no embryos to transfer so just because you have a positive pregnancy, and I don't mean to be negative about this, it's kind of the, the real thing is, unfortunately, just because you've had one positive pregnancy test, you know, those lines that are so amazing in the test window, unfortunately and sadly doesn't mean you'll have a baby at the end of nine months. Mm-hmm. Because as all, as all women know, we have pregnancy loss, miscarriage, etc. That's why I think this one cycle is, is very unfair funding for just one cycle is really hugely unfair on on people and also the funding announced doesn't cover um same-sex couples doesn't cover single people who want to have a baby um, and that's to do with the legislation, though, that the legislation needs to be put in place for that so it's it strikes me as as, as, as though it's just a token gesture really on the part of the government I mean, you know, it has to be welcomed, of course, it's hugely welcome because we're the only country in the EU, as I said, that doesn't fund IVF publicly. But it can only be welcomed as a first step. Mm. And we need to keep the pressure on government to say, you know, this is brilliant and it's it's a great help because you know if you are under undergoing the journey it also includes IUI which is another form of treatment it cuts your bill by 6 grand yeah you know which would be great yeah. um mm. you know but it's a first step and i think we all you know we need to keep the pressure on to make sure that donor eggs and donor sperm are included and to make sure that same sex couples and single people also are will be included and more cycles are funded yeah and th- but there's still a big question mark over that at the moment isn't there yeah they're yeah. still waiting to see what's going to happen so we need to need to keep the pressure on garth yeah so I'm, <laughs> this is something the lgbt community are asking at the moment you know what about us? Uh, and there, there doesn't seem to... They, really, it's, it's, a, it's a situation, it strikes me as though the announcement has been made, but the HSE is still finalising the plans. Uh, well, I think that, yeah, there's some of that, yes. But the, the problem as well, unfortunately, for the, um, for the LGBT community is that the Assisted Human Reproduction Bill hasn't been passed. It's mm. been waited on for so long now and governments haven't passed it yet. So that needs to... What's kind of happened in Ireland is that, you know, amazingly, fantastically, fertility treatments has taken huge strides forward and can do some brilliant things now which could never do before. But legislation hasn't caught up. Yeah. So yeah. we need to pass that bill as well. How costly was the treatment? 
if you don't mind me asking, in terms <laughs> no, of, of monetary not. terms. Yeah. Where did you get the money? Did, did, was it from friends? Was it from family? Did you borrow from the bank or the credit union? Yeah, I mean, in total, it cost us €25,000. Um, we borrowed from the credit union. We borrowed from the bank. Um, we were lucky in a way that we were in a position to borrow because we were working or we had, you know, a salary. Um, lots of people aren't in the same position as us, so we were very lucky. Um, but, yeah, it meant as well that we never bought a house. You know, we're still renting. All of this stuff has not gone effects for your financial life. Um, we're still paying off the loan seven years later. Um, and also... Um, the money as well, the last final pot of money was inheritance from my mum when she passed away and uh, that pot of money was our, was made us successful so I called my daughter after my mum which was, which oh, was beautiful yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. nice to think that she, she was she was cheering you on she was and she was always in my corner yeah. always Yeah. yeah. so you know if it wasn't for mum and that last pot we, we'd never have had our daughter that's amazing yeah. Is it a very debilitating treatment? Like over a long period of time, it takes its emotional, there must be huge emotional consequences as well as physical. It's emotionally draining, of course it is. Um, to be honest with you, the physical I didn't find too bad. You know, I thought it was grand. I think you just, emotionally it was hard because, you know, through all those steps that I outlined earlier, it's like, you know, Will I respond to medication? Will my womb lining be thick enough? Will the eggs be retrieved? How many eggs will they get? Will they have embryos? Will those embryos survive? You know, it's like a roller coaster. You've got all these questions at every step. So it's it's emotionally hugely draining, particularly if you've gone on for years and years and years. But people who go down this journey, um, the IVF road, I suppose, are in my in my view heroes you know they've mm. done this for years and years and years and they'll do it and they're committed to it um it's very sad then when the journey ends with you know w- with heartbreak and, and there's no result and there's lots of couples out there as well who are living with that and with all the news as well around this you know there's loads of people today who are suffering with infertility listening to the news and it's uh, you know it's heartbreaking for them i really really feel feel for them yeah, it's 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 one step forward, but then there's nothing beyond that as yet. Yeah, we have to have to keep keep calling for yeah, more. Yeah, um, but it is a welcome first step. I have to acknowledge that. Okay, June, it's been wonderful talking to you, and thanks for joining us this morning. And thanks, Gary. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you, health journalist June Shannon, um, reliving her experiences of IVF treatment, and uh, what a lovely lovely thought that uh, June's mother with that inheritance money, enabled her to actually have that successful treatment in the end. It's wonderful. Now, we're going to stay with the story. Uh, We have more coming up very, very shortly. You can get in contact with us. If you'd like to text us, we'll give you the number now in a second. And uh, as I say, we're coming back to the the IVF treatment in a couple of moments' time. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 0833 This is the Opinion Live with PJ Cook. Welcome back. We're uh, highlighting the story. It's a very, very big story this week. Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly announcing that eligible couples, eligible couples, and there are huge, uh, there's quite a number of criteria involved in being eligible. 
Eligible couples can receive one free round of uh, of IVF treatment from this September we're hearing uh, this week. Nicola is a young mum who has gone through IVF treatment. She and her partner Anthony have first-hand experience of the process and here's a short clip of the couple talking about their journey. I went in very, I didn't know anything about it at the start. Google is the worst thing to do, to do. I was learning the whole way, you know, even after every cycle, learning my own body, what worked for me, what way I reacted to different meds. It's a lot, it can be scary. And it's not just, just because I'm physically going through with my body and injections. And, you know, it's something that's gone through it as well. You know, going through all the appointments, the the different outcomes, nothing is straightforward. Things get changed up. So I did find it challenging that not many people talk about it. Um, we didn't really talk about it at the start to people. It was just us and the unknown. We, we, we just didn't know what we were getting into. Like what I said, I think we were just a bit naive at the start. We thought that, oh, IVF will just it will work the first time. But then we didn't know all the steps that was involved. And You know, as you said, we both went through it, but realistically, really, like you went through it. Everything was with yourself and education and she was going through it. I'm just kind of there for support, but not actually going through it. So that's, I think, was the hardest for me, is watching herself go through the failed one and then everything's happy and we're back on that high buzz and then it fails again and obviously being there for support and being at the appointment and stuff but not actually going through and like the, the medication wasn't straightforward it was yeah. hard on the body and hard on herself and like I was obviously I was obviously not taking the medication so it was kind of like she was doing it all herself well, which is hard for me yeah, he gave me the injections <laughs> yeah that was it uh, I couldn't that do it yeah so that I, I, yeah, but it was still it was your body going yeah. through so that was the hard thing for me is to sit back and watch you go through it and then the failed ones then yeah that was I think was the hardest for me that's Nicola and Anthony there short clip um, listening to them describing the journey something that jumped out at me was the fact that as they embarked on this journey not many people were willing to talk to talk to them about it Nicola how are you Hi how are you I'm good it's lovely to talk to you just listening to that oh, there um, lots of questions for you why do you think people were yeah. reluctant to chat to you um, I think it's, I don't know if if couples or women are embarrassed to talk about it. You know, infertility, it's um, obviously since they're running that campaign this week, which is great to get people talking about it because it is one in six couples that do, you know, have problems. Um, I think when we started our journey, obviously a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, um, yeah, you know, when you're in the reception and waiting rooms, um, people don't want to look up, you know, it's like people are embarrassed and don't want to, openly talk about it so yeah. I definitely feel it's probably getting a bit better now but definitely um, it's yeah I, I don't know I just think people are embarrassed to talk about it and How were your families? Um, yeah they were great you know we didn't actually really tell them at the start um, to be honest we um, we just had ourselves and then obviously when it, it didn't start to go our way we started to share our you know talk to families that this is what we're going through and because it can be quite obvious you know Obviously, you know, when you're on medications and the effects of the medications and stuff. And um, so, yeah, they were great, very supportive, um, very, you know, very supportive and open that we, you know, we were sharing that with them because yeah. we didn't know anyone that was gone through IVF. And, you know, someone might know someone's neighbor or someone that has gone through and has worked or hasn't worked. So mm. um, even back then, we didn't know anyone personally gone through but now as the years go on we've talked to so many people that are more open now and talk through their journey and we've given our numbers out to people that we don't even know to you know if they've any questions and stuff and um, because people have passed on our details because we've gone through so it would have been nice if we had that but you know at the start just someone to talk to that has been through it because 
again, it's a lot and you're going into the unknown, not knowing what to expect. When you were both told that you, you both had fertility difficulties, was that a huge shock to you? Yeah, yeah, I I, th- I thought it was only me. Um, but then when we were told, we were sit down, we sat down and told that, listen, there was problems on both ends, that the possibility of conceiving naturally was probably not going to happen. Um, Anthony in, in his late 20s, and I was 30 at the time, was like, what? You know, it, it was just shocking. I think we mm-hmm. took some time. Um, but the clinic was very supportive. You know, they have counsellors there if you needed that they were like listen you know lots to take in there there's options there so that's what was great for us but I think we just saying oh god you know it's not going to happen this is our only option um and IVF was you know there's obviously loads of other steps and medications and IUI and different things before IVF but we were told we'd have to go straight to IVF right um so yeah it was a lot to take in um I have to say it was very shocking (laughs) did did it put a strain on your relationship um, probably not, no, not then. I think we were both just disappointed because it was both of us, you know, mm. we were both like, if it was one, it might be a bit, you know, we were both just frustrated and we were just like, I think it brought us closer because we were both going through and but we just were just so shocked, but we were, it was just great that we were in a position that we actually were like, you know what, we're going to start right away. You know, yeah. we, we didn't know at the time if we were going to, and we said, no, listen, you know, time is probably not on our hands either and you know it mightn't work so we were just like you know let's get started and we set up another appointment and then we literally just yeah we just went from there and we're like okay what are the options what do we need to do Mm. and obviously to get to that stage we had loads of various tests done on both sides you know we were in and out for different scans and procedures before we were sat down and told that so um can I, can, can I ask how old each of you was when you decided to to, to, to go for the treatment? Um, yeah, I think I was um, 30, 30, and Anthony would have been 27, 27. Yeah. So young, um, you, were yeah. Bo- you were both very young. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we were definitely like starting to talk about kids and, um, you know, it's what we wanted to wanted to start a family together and um, so yeah we just thought you know from looking and googling as I said is the worst but <laughs> we thought you know yeah I, I, I didn't think it was IVF I just thought oh we might need help we might need just a little help for medication or something you know for to maybe help me overlay but never yeah. did I think that I would have had to go down that road yeah Anthony says in that little clip we heard there of the two of you he says that you were the one who physically went through it you, you talk about the effects that the medication had on you was it was it very nauseous what, what 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 sort of physical effects what sort of emotional effects did you feel taking the medication yeah for, for me I found them quite um yeah and I know everyone's experience is different but and I don't want to put anyone off but for me it was very hard um I had a very low egg count so there wasn't many follicles there that could obviously produce eggs and the quality wasn't that good so they the medication to stimulate to get as many possible eggs as I can um was very harsh you know it was very bloated um really like like towards the end before I got the egg retrieval um I, I couldn't walk. I was sitting on my couch, you know, I, it, it was, it was very harsh and trying to get the injections I'm getting the injections in every day, going in and out for scans was painful. Um, but again, they're trying their best to get mm. as many eggs as possible. So, but, and, and to a certain size because if they go over a certain size and they can't retrieve them. The, so it was a lot of back and forth and, um, yeah. And then 
but obviously they're doing the best that you can. So I was like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, you know, like whatever, but to get the best outcome. And then, yeah, it was quite painful. And obviously this it goes on for months and weeks yeah. and then they might change it up. Um, and trying to inject where you were before and try different different spots it's yeah it can be quite sore yeah, I can imagine. like did you ever feel at any stage I'm giving this up I can't I can't keep going yeah I was very emotional like you know from the side effects and then um you know because I was working at the time I wasn't working from home it was all pre-covid and just getting in and out of work trying to hide it from people and that's why at the start you know as I said we kept it from our families and then we couldn't because you know physically you could see it wasn't going to different events and different things so it um yeah it's yeah it was tough but well, look, looking, I, looking uh, back, this is, this, I suppose this is the, this is the magic in hindsight if it's successful, isn't it? It was worth every Yeah, month. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's it. And I think I use, myself and Anthony, I really share our story because we were both told, you know, at a young age that it wasn't going to happen naturally. And through all the different cycles and changing dif- different things, um, you know, it didn't work for our first few cycles, but every single cycle, they changed things up, different meds, different protocols. And then we have two kids, you know, we've, yeah. um, I just have a, we just had our boy recently, he's three months. And well, congratulations. Yeah, so it's, oh, thank you. And uh, <laughs> we have a three-year-old. So there is, it, it does work, you know, it's great. It- Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Might, might take people a couple of years or a couple of cycles, um, but, you know, we well we were actually successful three times unfortunately one of the cycles did I did get pregnant but I ended up having a miscarriage um so really three pregnancies I've had but um but yeah two children so it, it's definitely mm-hmm. worth all the injections and the time and yeah. everything like that and when you both look at them when they're asleep at night what do you think it, it must be magical Oh, it is. Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I'm blessed with one. I just think it's a miracle happened too. I just, uh, definitely, I just, yeah, we, we were just so appreciative that we just like, without IVF, we wouldn't have had our kids. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. What, what do you think of the new initiative, this, this free IVF treatment? Now that the, the eligibility for the treatment, the, there's a lot of criteria and I think a lot of people are going to feel very excluded very quickly. What do you think about it? Yeah, like I was, yeah, we were actually chatting about it last night. As you know, obviously, okay, it was, it's great that there's something there. Um, 
I do, and I know there's probably, I, I can see different sides. Um, I think just being through it and for us um, and for couples, you know, one round is just definitely not enough. It's better than, you know, there was nothing there when we uh, were going through our, all our cycles. But yeah, some of the criteria, like um, just the BMI and, and just the one round, like it can take one round just to even see what works for your body, you know, or what what if you don't respond. So, and there's so many different steps mm. and just being through it. It's like, yeah, and, and I do, I know that they say for people that don't have kids and then I know obviously I feel for people that have one kid and want to give their kid a sibling, mm. but then I try to think back when we had no kids, we're like, we just want it to work once, we just want yeah. one baby to hold in our arms. So I can, of course, for them couples, it, 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 you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, but I just think when, when people see that money, the like the, t- the 10 million, it, it's it's really like I think what was said earlier on in the show, um, it's not enough because it just can, like between tests and bloods and medication, you're just, it just got racks up to the thousands all the time, yeah. you know. And, and then they're, they're saying it, that like with the, with that amount of money, 10 million, only 3,000 will be able to avail of the, the of the treatment. Yeah, and if they all get one cycle, but what happens if they get so close? Yeah. And then they want, you know, they want to go again and then they're, you know, they don't have the money, you they're know, or any even bills. contribution. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just it's, just to remind everybody that the Minister for Health has said that they're, they're focusing on the Scottish model and they want to try to replicate that as much as they can here. Now, that excludes those with a BMI of under 18 are over 30. Now, no formal restriction BMI figures have been announced here in Ireland, but it's most likely going to be those figures. Uh, you'll be excluded if you're under 18 um, or over 30. Um, and also, the Scottish model excludes women aged 41 and over, and men aged 60 and over will be excluded. Once again, although no formal restriction for ages have been announced in Ireland. I mentioned earlier on when I was talking to June Shannon, um, Nicola, that it, it kind of strikes me that a lot of women who decide to hell with everything that's happened, I want to go for IVF, are probably in their their 40s. So why exclude women yes. over the age of 41? I know, and as well, because people probably don't go down that road until they're starting to try. You know, people mightn't start thinking about their families till their 30s. You know, they might try themselves. And then, so you might have this pressure on people now thinking, oh God, I'm nearly 40. You know, if that is, if I want to avail of that, you know, we might have to start thinking about it now. I think the age is definitely, is, um, it definitely should be brought yeah. uh, or should be changed because very, very questionable. Yeah. yeah. Listen, it's yeah. been great talking to you. Uh, you had your IVF at the Sims Clinic, didn't you? Uh, Sims, yeah. 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 Leading fertility provider, Sims IVF. Just for those who might be interested, six clinics across Ireland, including Cork, and they have recently launched an open discussion initiative on infertility. And Nicola had her IVF treatment with Sims. Best wishes to you and to the two kids and to Anthony, Nicola. And it's been great chatting to you this morning. Great. Thanks very much for having me. Thank Take you. Take care. Bye now. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Uh, fascinating discussion. And um, I think it's it's going to run and run and run. And whether the 10 million materialises in the end or whether we're going to have to wait until early next year before the whole plan is rolled out, it wouldn't surprise many people if that was the case, that uh, there are delays found in the system and the whole thing gets held up like so much that's going on at the moment. Uh, but but the, as of now, uh, eligible couples can receive one free round of in vitro fertilization IVF treatment 
and that we hope will be from September. Our email address, by the way, is opinion at 96fm.ie, opinion at 96fm.ie. Quite a number of comments coming in on a number of the topics we've been chatting about this morning. I'll read those to you shortly. And the text number for WhatsApp messages and uh, if you want to leave a little voice note, 083 396 Time is running out to vote for your favourite in the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. This is a brilliant idea. Concept that has really caught on and... Uh, at this stage, we're we're looking at vote closing, which takes place this Sunday. Votes closing this Sunday, July 30th. Uh, you'll find the shortlist at 96fm.ie, so have your say now. And here are just some of the shortlists, okay? So we've got Best Hairdresser, uh, Best Beauty Salon, Best Bar. Now, some of the nomina- nominations for Best Bar, Mary O'Connell's, Dwyer's of Cork, Murphy's Rock, Costigan's Bar, The Beer Garden, all very, very well known and great locations. Best Breakfast, now this is something that appeals to me, Tony's Bistro, The Spit Jack, Lab 82, The Barn and uh, Liberty Grill, which serves up a wonderful breakfast. So there's a few of the nominations. Best Barber, Andy O'Sullivan Hair, Peaky Barbers, Brook Barber, The Legends Barber, Barber Lane. Have your say, uh, don't leave it too late, Uh, voting closing Sunday. That's next Sunday, 30th of July. Where's the time going? And you'll find the shortlist at 96fm.ie, all right? And good luck to everybody who has been nominated. Different categories practically right across the board in every form of industry, um, and lots of them there. You'll, 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 it'll take you some time, but it's a very enjoyable uh, walk through all of the different categories. So, 083 96 96 96. We're back in a moment. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. Some of your comments on some of the topics this morning on IVF treatment. A caller says, I was thrilled when I heard about the government initiative because I don't think the gift of children should be limited by children. I think the age restriction is very unfair, though, because a lot of people marry in their 30s and keep trying to have children because they cannot afford to try for IVF, and now they are being hit again. Uh, It's like talking about a present and then suddenly putting it away behind your back. It's a great analogy, I think. Thank you for that. Ballincollig Fire Station, as you know, um, firefighters resuming strike action again today. Uh, Trevor says a 10 million budget for IVF. I'm all in favour of it. People in my own family have experience of IVF. On the other hand, we will not give any money to save Ballincollig Fire Station. We're happy to give life, but not preserve it. I'm not saying we should take away from the IVF, but we do not seem to have joined up thinking there. That's an excellent way of putting it, Trevor. Thank you for that. We're happy to give life, but not preserve it. And as I mentioned yesterday, and I'll keep saying it, uh, something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. Ballincollig has a population of 25,000 people, approximately. Um, the hinterland and the townlands around it, uh, far, far bigger population. And therefore, anything west of Ballincollig is going to put a huge drain on the resources from Anglesey Street and the likes of Ballyballan and uh, other fire stations around the Cork area. And uh, it, it, we're waiting... You know, a disaster, unfortunately, is going to happen, whether it's a very serious road traffic accident uh, or whether it's a very serious fire. And time is of the essence in situations like this. Seconds count. 
not just minutes, as firefighters will tell you and paramedics. I don't know why Ballancolic Fire Station will not be reopened again, according to the council. Uh, I'm, yeah, anyway, let's not go there. We could spend the rest of the week talking about it. Uh, OxyContin addiction, we were talking about this yesterday. Listening to your interview with Professor O'Gara, polypharmacy is the third leading cause of death in the world. More people are being helped now to detox off legal than illegal drugs. We need a system to wean people off medications or lower their doses after a certain time because long-term use of very powerful drugs cannot be good. Often they're supposed to be cut down after a while, at least for a bit. It's good to see that America is starting to pull back on the marketing of drugs, but we really need a proper way to ensure both marketing and prescription is done right because these meds are addictive. Uh, so true and well put there. Thank you, Eddie. That film, by the way, we mentioned yesterday, Dope Sick, it's also a very, very interesting book based on the experience of individuals, lots of them, tens and tens of thousands of people who became addicted to OxyContin, many of them losing their lives, many of them taking their own lives because they couldn't get off the drug. And uh, the pharmaceutical company that made it, uh, the doctors who were prescribing the drug uh, were selling drugs prescriptions. It's a fascinating story and perhaps it's an omen of what might happen unless the whole OxyContin addiction thing can be got under control. Now, 83 396 Should working grandparents be given time off when their grandchildren are born? Grandternity. Grandternity. Great word. Grandternity leave is the new hot topic. And I'm joined by Caroline Reedy, who's with the HR suite. Morning to you, Caroline. Good morning. This is a great idea. I think what it's trying to do, and I think the positive, you've just uh, been chatting there about fertility treatment. Grandternity is another key milestone in people's lives. And what we're finding is that companies who are proactive at wanting to help employees with work-life balance are proactively trying to introduce policies to facilitate people to take time off when they need it that doesn't impact their holidays. Because let's be honest, 20-ish days in most companies doesn't be long going in terms of, you know, holidays, wedding, you know, a few occasions mm. during the year. So if you need to take time off because you've had a new grandchild and you want to even just go visit, big debate about whether you should have to help or not, but whether you want to visit or whether you want to help, etc., or whether you need time off for fertility treatment, etc. A lot of companies are starting to respond and introduce additional policies in organisations, whether they be paid or unpaid, to facilitate people during this life journey and key milestones. Do we know if, if many grandparents would be interested in taking time off? You know the old saying, you know, the great thing about being a grandparent is that when you babysit, it's wonderful just to be able to hand the baby back. Um, do many grandparents really take it this seriously that they would like to devote time off work to actually caring for their grandchildren? The idea of this is so that people have the option. So, for example, in France, when people are, you know, of an age, they start allowing them to taper off their working hours to encourage them to stay working longer in the workforce. 
this idea is similar. So it's optional. You can take it should you wish to take it. But if you don't want to take it, you don't have to take it. But for example, if you have a new grandchild, a lot of people, they're not living in close proximity. They may need to travel. You know, they might want to take that additional week of unpaid leave in most organisations. Some of it is paid leave, but most it's unpaid leave to be able to travel and visit and support and help. Again, it's an optional um, opportunity, but I think what it does is it's starting to help organisations to see that, look, people come to work as a holistic person. A lot of organisations, the same with fertility leave, have started to introduce uh, policies where people are getting paid leave to take time off to undergo fertility treatment. And some organisations, for example, Arthur Cox, have even facilitated leave for the partner of the person as well. So again, I think these are really progressive policies because they're giving people options. We later on this year in Ireland have the introduction of remote and flexible working, which is coming into our legislation. But again, it means that you don't need to have children, you don't need to have grandchildren, etc. You can request flexible working to suit your working circumstances in line with your work-life balance. And I think we're definitely more progressive in seeing these type of things come into play because people value their downtime Mm. and their time in terms of that work-life balance so much now. And more companies, well, according to the Wall Street Journal, more companies are trying to encourage their older workers to stay working. Isn't that the case? Absolutely. We're in a full labour market. We have no retirement age in Ireland. So people can work on as long as they're fit and able to do so unless the company can objectively justify another reason as to why they need to retire. Well, I think, even though I think there are some fairness, contractual many, ones. Yeah, many people can't afford to retire, which is probably one of the reasons why they're working so long. Absolutely. And not alone can they not afford it in some cases. People are living longer, they're healthier. If they can reduce their hours, they see work as part of their social, you know, uh, interaction and they enjoy it, etc. Once they've got the option to do it within hours that they feel suit them. So I think there's a lot of merit in if we want to retain really good talent with lots of knowledge and expertise, you know, introducing flexibility and tapered hours for those people, I think is really good. But as I say, it's going to come right across the board where people have the option to look for more flexibility later this year as part of the introduction of that legislation. So I'm sure we'll talk more about it closer Mm. to the time. But it's I think all of this is positive where companies are taking proactive steps. This isn't something people have to take. This is an option that people have available to them. And I always think options are really good because it will suit uh, a certain amount of people. Are we a different generation of grandparents now compared to our parents? I think we're No doubt. I mean, people are healthier. They're living longer. People have, you know, uh, a lot more opportunity to work on longer. And as a result of that, people have generally busy lives. Obviously, some people choose to support and, you know, look after their grandchildren. But we equally see an awful lot of people, you know, who want to stay working longer. So it's positive that people are getting the option to do that. Um, But I think our our health piece is a key ingredient in making it, uh, you know, much better for people now, isn't it? Mm. 
Oh, very much so. I would agree. And in terms of work-life balance, just leaving the grand eternity leave aside for a moment, I, I, I think that, you know, we're all still suffering slightly from COVIDitis. Like, did the pandemic, has that changed the work-life balance completely? When you look at the, the great retirement, as they call it in the United States, where millions and millions of people left their jobs and never went back, what, what has COVID taught us about the importance of work-life balance? I think a lot of people start to realise that we don't have to do the commute. Um, a lot, you know, people are productive working from home, and a lot of people have been able to continue to enjoy either fully remote or a hybrid. And I think for a lot of organisations, they've landed on a hybrid, and I think that's been really, really good. And I think a lot of people equally have relocated to other parts of the world or the country and still can do their job remotely and again gives them a whole new uh, focus on work-life balance and I suppose the evolution of legislation like things like the right to disconnect so you can actually not be accessible all of the time things like the introduction of remote and flexible working that's giving a statutory basis as well for organizations that I suppose are maybe slower coming to the party and which I think is positive too. I'm wondering, is there any research, Caroline, in relation to people, and I know many, many people back during the middle portion of COVID, there was the, the the lifting of restrictions and then they came down like heavy shutters again. People were saying, I've had enough of working two jobs where by the end of the week, I have nothing left to support me. I have no savings. I'm barely paying for the apartment I'm renting and putting food on the table. I can do without this. Where, where do you think those people are now? Those people who have literally opted out, have they opted back I, in? Well, we've a full labour market, so any you know the majority of people who can work are now working. So the statistics very much support that. Um, so. I think, though, what's happening is people have shifted in terms of where they might be working or, you know, the types of jobs they're working in. And we've also seen sectors respond to the need to get people back into those sectors. So an example of that would have been hospitality, where hospitality was closed and people might have gone to work in retail or call centres or other types of jobs where maybe the hours were more regular or they knew the roster more in advance, we've seen to attract people back into those sectors because people love the interaction and the vibe and the buzz that you know hospitality gives them. We've seen hospitality really respond to the need to have more certainty in shift pattern, etc., etc. So we're seeing sectors that have, I suppose, lost people during that peak of the pandemic. You know, really go and try and evolve in their HR practices to get people back into those sectors again, which is Mm. good for the employees. And it's a necessity for them because ultimately, as we all know, without good people, you don't have a business, especially if it's a service-based business. So I think a lot of organizations have started thinking outside the box. And ultimately, people will speak with their feet. They're going to go to the good employers that look after their people. And that's that's definitely an employer's market right now for them to do that. But are we not looking at a complete collapse of the hospitality sector now that the government have restored the old VAT charge in, in terms of restaurants and, and that? Surely the restaurateurs are going to they're going to collapse under the strain of this. I think without doubt there's a lot of businesses, particularly smaller businesses that, you know, 
there's huge cost increases that have come to their businesses and the cost of energy, increased cost of staffing, etc. You know, so it is very much a survival of the fittest. But equally, I suppose, in the hotel sector, for example, we've all seen increased prices in terms of getting a room rate, etc. So I think organisations are rebalancing their business model to make it fit for survival. But because all businesses in that sector are doing it, it's, it's I suppose, more uh, palatable because it's different if one competitor is increasing prices. It might price them out of the market. But if everybody's doing it, because they have to based on costs it's accepted that that's going to be the new norm so mm. i think we have to make sure that we're treating our employees well they're you know they're getting what they're entitled to but now we also have to ensure that we're trying to be as best practice as we can to have an added edge as to why somebody wants to work with the organization because as mm. we know like most times it's culture that keeps people you know it's um, a lot of the terms and conditions that attract but it's culture then that keeps them yeah, we're going to have to leave it there. Caroline, great to chat to you and thank you so much. A pleasure. Take, Take care. care. Thank you. Caroline Reedy there with the HR Suite. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call 96FM. Tim sent me a text. He says, uh, I've taken the day off and I'm planning on watching the match. I was going to watch it at home, but heard you talk about it earlier on. Can you give me the air code again? <laughs> it's great, isn't it? Air codes. And we we, ne- we always thought when the, the whole idea was in, in its, its kind of inception that it would never work, that every single house in the country has its own air code. The air code for Murphy's Rock and the O'Sullivan family welcoming everybody there today, supporting Denise in her bid for World Cup glory in Perth. Kickoff scheduled for 1pm here at home and uh, that'll be 8pm in Perth in the rectangular stadium. Seriously, come on. I mean, Perth is a strange sort of perfect city. It's kind of like a Barbie and Ken city. But calling the stadium the rectangular stadium, you know? Come on, imagination. Yeah, the Crocodile Dundee Stadium. <laughs> we can take a call on that. What do you think it should be called? Seriously. Bit of effort, bit of artwork. Anyway, Ballyvalan's the place to be. Murphy's Rock, T23, okay? T23, D for Dave, 215. T23, D215. Now, hair-free bodies and manscaping, and I'm talking about the lads, are all the rage at the moment, and the new Barbie movie is playing a role in this uptrend. Anne-Marie McIlwraith runs the Just For Men Manscaping Lounge in Douglas. Anne-Marie, what is manscaping? Manscaping is more than what people usually think, which is always geared towards the the waxing side of the whole experience. So it covers everything from your skin care, your hair care, nail care, um, the waxing, of course, but it's also to do with mental health and, you know, obviously what it is, is to help guys not just to look their best, but also to feel their best. And is this a way of of saying that men are beginning to appreciate their bodies more? Thankfully, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to say, it helps their partners to appreciate them more as well. Um, 
So uh, a lot of times we'd have people in for the waxing and they'd be sports people. So they do it for reasons other than vanity. And not that there's anything at all wrong with vanity and we actively encourage it. But, you know, sometimes people put tags or kind of notions on things without realizing that there actually are other needs that have to be addressed more than just looking and feeling their best. So we're getting away from that whole concept in the past where cyclists and swimmers shaved their Mm -hmm. arms and legs. Well, they still do and they have to because it's one of their safety measures. Mm -hmm. But uh, now more and more just average Joes and Jims are doing it as well, aren't they? Oh, 100%. And it's brilliant, you know, because it reduces things like skin conditions. It actually helps with kind of hair growth and reduces, you know, the different body smells that people might have. So from even from a hygiene perspective, it's actually very, very uh, important. Can I ask in relation to perspiration, say armpit sweat, um, shaving, Uh shaving your armpits, does that cut down? On it doesn't cut down on the perspiration, but it obviously cuts down on the body odor. Absolutely, because what happens is the hair is there to protect the body. So when we're cold, if we if we take an example, the hair is like a mini manufacturing company, and it's there to protect the body whether there's extremes cold extremes of cold or of heat. So they trap air that keeps the body cool or it helps to keep it warm. But when you have hair under your arm, and if you're not very good with your hygiene, that that sweat quickly will go off and it gives that very unpleasant smell. So by reducing the, the hair, obviously you're, you're reducing the smell, which is always very, very uh, nice because there's nothing worse than somebody lifting their arm and you get a kind of a whiff. Yeah. Um, can be unpleasant. A yeah. bang, as they say. Mm. Oh my God, yeah. And it's one of the things we cover. We've got a health and wellness program for schools where we go in and we educate young guys how to look after their skin, how to look after their health, how to look after um, things like their hygiene, their nails, their their hair, everything. Uh, and we also teach them how to shave because quite often guys uh, have never been taught how to shave, even though it's a natural rite of passage that every guy goes through. Very few have actually been shown how to properly shave and look after themselves. But yet more and more men who do that m- menscaping, who look after their, the, 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 the I, I suppose the, aesthetic side of their bodies and, and mm-hmm. the treatment that they, they go looking for regularly. Yet more and more young men are wearing beards. Absolutely. And, you know, they're they're very attractive. Again, it's all a, a trend. I mean, you, you've referenced uh, the Barbie and Ken movie and obviously you've seen the exposed chest and he's obviously very hairless and it's very nice if you go away f- for a sun holiday and you can get a lovely tan because your skin has had that amazing exfoliation but trends come and go and beards are so uh, personal you know when i'm when i have a, a customer in the chair and we talk about their their beard styling and their facial hair styling we're looking at things like how does it complement their face what shape would be better to maybe make their their face look uh, more slim line or maybe if it's a very thin face how to give it a little bit more softness. You know, there's a lot to it that that is really personal and it's so important. We love the beard styling. Mm. It's a huge part of what we do. But on the other hand... And we have guys who get it waxed. You know, it's not just by using detailers or cutthroats. We can actually uh, wax the shapes so they have 
they don't have to shave as often. Wow. And it looks really sharp and smart. Is yeah. that is that uh, uncomfortable or is, is it, uh, how, how is that done? Presumably with tape and wax. Uh, well, it's it's with a hard wax. You wouldn't use uh, the soft wax on the face because it would be, uh, it's just not the right wax to use. Right. But it, the guys then love the idea they can go away on a holiday. They don't have to shave because the hair can take between three and four weeks to come back. Mm. So you have that very clean, crisp look for for much longer, which is obviously a very nice thing to do. Yeah. But it is uncomfortable. Like, you know, it is uncomfortable, but the benefits are there. And uh, I, I, from what I can gather, the days of the hairy chest are gone. Uh, not totally gone, <laughs> thankfully. Again, uh, oh, right. so we certainly would have guys who would have their backs waxed, but yeah. would like to keep, um, you know, the hairy chest because it is very attractive. And there's a lot of partners out there who love the idea of running their fingers through an, a nice chest with hair. You know, mm-hmm. um, but again, maybe going on holidays, they just want to get a better tan, or they they just want to reduce it, or if they're in a gym, it could be for competitive reasons that they might want to do it but everybody's different yeah and what's nice is there's now a solution for everybody we're now no longer hung up on male grooming um no has was was the was the gay male an influencer there because uh, you know gay men they, they go to great trouble to look as as good as they do I don't think so. I think guys really just want to look good. It doesn't matter whether you're gay, straight or anything in between. Uh, Looking good isn't the preserve of any one kind of structure in our society. Um, We just like guys to look good. And guys like to look good. They like to look attractive to uh, for themselves, for where they're working, for their partners. It just helps their self-esteem, and it helps. It just helps their overall well-being. Can you ask, answer me this, Anne Marie? What is microdermabrasion? <laughs> That's uh, it's a form of an exfoliation that we do, and it, what it does is it helps to reduce fine lines and wrinkles, um, makes the skin look much more uh, fresh and new. And then you, we can use things like vitamin C and collagen that actually helps to boost the skin and boost the hydration. So guys now are and have been. Uh, exploring how to make themselves look better, look younger, look fresher. And uh, it's something that we've added to our salon in Douglas. It's called exclusively for men, so I have to get that in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the guys just love that whole idea. So we're waiting for a new machine to come in and it it will be up and running in another few weeks. Wow. Uh, So, yeah, I, I find this so interesting. I remember hearing years ago, and this is going back probably 20 years, the expression uh, back sack and crack. Is that yes. still as popular today? I'm quite sure it might be in certain quarters. I don't do it because I would have a fear I'd be hanging certain appendages off the ceiling. So I just draw the line and doing the intimate waxing. Right, okay. But do you have somebody there in the, in the, in the, the lounge who would do no. it? No, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> and why? Why is is that a reluctance on on the um, the groomers' part? 
It's it's a reluctant. It is actually, and I think there is still is some hangover when you go to a salon. Like, what are people actually doing? And there have been notions in the past that it would be kind of untoward things going on. So, because of the the standard that we want to achieve, and we we want to eliminate any any questions of what what services are being offered, we decided first of all we're not going to do it, even though there's some really justifiable reasons why people like to get it done. Um, where people might have rashes or psoriasis and all sorts of things going on. It's just not a service that we offer. Right. Okay, well, we've... Everything else We've sorted that. that one out. Yeah, so uh, t- t- it, I'm dying to know, is the is the Salon the Lounge popular? Is it very busy? It's it's a new lounge. Mm-hmm. I just got the, the lease on the 5th of May, so we're formally going to launch it in August so we, we have a soft opening at the moment so yeah the guys are certainly finding me <laughs> and finding us again so that's all very good and located and located both, exactly where in Douglas Amory <clears throat> do you know Jono's yes well the car park in Jono's if you look across the road it's a beautiful blue door and a lovely sign up over it exclusively for men so we've got a little bit of going on mm-hmm and um, yeah, it's wonderful and it's fabulous to see the guys coming in. And of course, the services are, you know, superior standards. Both Joanne and I are going to London and we're going to upskill with all of these new derma fillers uh, as part of the offering because the guys are asking for them. Yeah, it's a one stop shop for, for the lads. So, one stop shop, everything from their pedicure to the crown of their head. And of course, we're hair scalp and wig clinic. So we can help guys to look at all sorts of things, no matter what it is they're looking for. Kjarkalor, Anne-Marie, lovely to talk to you today. And, and good luck with the uh, the venture. I think it's going to be fantastic. Oh, it's brilliant. And it's it, seeing all the guys coming back again, it's it's amazing because I've moved out of the city, uh, moved out to Douglas. I'm a Douglas Colleen myself, so it's lovely to be kind of back on the home turf. Yeah. And being able just to offer the services, we have a lovely little garden out the back and they can have their cup of tea or coffee or a little glass of something special if they want to. And we even have a box of cigars inside, you know, you never know. Very bohemian experience by the sounds of it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Great Great to talk to you, Anne-Marie. Lovely talking to to Garrett. It's wonderful. Take care. Slant Thank you. Yes, Amory. Um before we finish, one of the, the big programmes that we were really um interested to get out at the moment is the whole schools programme. All right. Uh because it is about educating young boys how to look after their their skin, how to deal with shaving if they've got acne, how to how to cut their nails so they don't cause issues for themselves, how to deal with things like fungal infections, because a lot of the young fellas to be wearing boots and they've sweaty feet and they, yeah. you know, they just don't know what to do. Uh, and we do demonstrations then on how to shave. So we teach them how to shave um properly yeah, without, so they're not yeah, going to be going around to have the toilet roll on their face yeah <laughs> I remember those days yeah so, and you're, you're, I remember my brothers too <laughs> you're, vi- you're visiting the schools are you Emery? we're visiting schools yeah we've offered it now we've been out to a number of schools very well received we've bookings in again now for the next the next um, school year but we're extending it to all schools great well it sounds like a brilliant plan and uh, I, I know it'll be it's amazing it, it'll be well received as well and the guys love it because we cover simple things like oncology awareness as well because a lot of guys are not aware of what they need to do to keep themselves safe doing either a press, uh, 
a breast check or a, t- a test check, testicular check, and just how t- small things like that that could end up saving their lives down the road. Yeah, that, that's fantastic because, you know, the number of guys I've known down through the years who get these little bumps underneath their jaws and mm-hmm. their chins and they're wondering, what are they? Are they moving? Are, mm-hmm. they, are they rock solid or what? And you tend to just pass it off. Typically, I suppose, it was a man's thing, hopefully not so as, as much in, uh, these days. But the whole awareness, self-awareness too. And, you mm-hmm. know, someone particularly for example now dentists do it all the time they will take, t- check mm-hmm. you know in orally uh, for you know the, the the those little signs those little red flags so uh, that I think that's fantastic so well done on that well I'm actually oncology trained and it's quite interesting because because we deal you know with people's heads places they don't normally get to see themselves we will notice uh, maybe something that might be behind the ear or under the scalp and it might be a lump or it might be a lesion it might be a sore it might be something that just doesn't look quite right that you can just say you know the next time you go to your GP you might mention but having that awareness and we teach all our students to be uh, cancer aware mm-hmm. so those small things make a difference or if we've got a cancer um, somebody that's going through cancer treatment at the moment or has had lymph gland removal there's things we can do to adapt the services that we offer to protect them and keep them safe it's it's wonderful i mean i've i've i don't think i've ever come across a business like it where you're offering so many of these services that i I mean people this will save lives and it has, and it genuinely has. I suppose the, the whole mission about what it's all about is how to improve services for guys, mm. how to have a standard of care that they feel comfortable with, that they're really getting a good service. It's a high standard. They're looking better. They're feeling better. And they're in safe hands. So it's a safe place to be. Will all of this information be on your website? The website is still under, under uh, construction. construction. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm trying to do it myself. Sure. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. it's a bit raw. That's, okay. That's uh, sometimes yes, the best be way there. to do it yourself. It At least you have full control over it. But we look forward to it. And as soon as it's up and running, let us know and we'll, we'll, we'll mention it. Fantastic. I'm actually going to have a webinar on the 3rd of August for parents if they would like an idea of the different areas of how to look after their sons or what their sons could be doing to look after their skin. Um, And I actually have a book published as well. So if people are interested, all of those things are covered with it. That's great. The name of the book, Emery. Uh, health and Wellness Male Grooming Skills Training Programme. Wow, okay, that's wonderful. Um, and once again, uh, this is all just very, very positive stuff. The URL, the website address, I, I take it will it be... It would also be on Amazon. On Amazon, okay, that's great. Thank yeah. you, Anne-Marie, lovely to talk to you. Lovely speaking with you too, Gareth. Thanks a lot. All right, God bless, take care. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. Now, um, Emma says here, she said, Gareth, <laughs> I had to laugh when I heard you mention back sack and crack wax in the last interview. It reminded me of my friend who runs a beauty salon. They do lots of facials, massages, and all sorts of beauty treatments too. She told me she still gets calls from men who ring to book a massage and ask few of them, will, uh, and a small few of them will ask, is there anything extra with that or what else is included with that massage? <laughs> 
<laughs> the cheek of them, says Emma. My friend finds it very funny, but clearly these men are ringing the doorbell of the wrong shop. <laughs> Thank you for that. Okay, uh, 083 96 96 96 is our number for texts and for your WhatsApp messages. Now, um, yesterday we were talking to Professor Colin O'Gara from St. John of God's in Dublin about uh, the OxyContin epidemic particularly in America, uh, Professor O'Gara doesn't seem to think we have, uh, he doesn't believe we have an OxyContin epidemic here. But usually, you know, where America leads, we follow at some point. And we discussed the addiction with Professor O'Gara and also the Dope Sick documentary number of you calling to say, where can I find it? It's on one of the streaming channels. I'm not quite sure. I meant to check last night. But uh, I fell asleep. <laughs> I think it's. I think it could be Amazon Prime. If not, it could be Disney Plus or obviously the old reliable Netflix. Check, and I will know tomorrow morning. Okay. We were also discussing extreme pain, and it prompted a call from Angela, who suffers from chronic back pain. Morning to you, Angela. Good morning, Gareth. How are you? I'm fine. And you know the the reason the whole severe back pain topic came up here is because um, as a result of the car crash that I was in about 20 weeks ago now. uh, Oh my goodness. I have severe back pain and I didn't want to make a big issue of it on air, but it was when I read these statistics that said that 91% of Irish people have uh, at some point in their lives bad, bad to severe back pain. Now I know you, uh, you have severe back pain for a long time, haven't you? I've had severe back pain, Gareth, now for, uh, it's over 10 years. Oh, God. And I'm still suffering now today. It's it's actually came to the, the conclusion I have to have a walking frame to walk anywhere. And I can only walk short distances. And it's either then, like, if I didn't have the walking frame, by the way, like, I'd either have to fall down or just sit down, you know? Mm. And what That's ca- the way it makes me feel. Would you mind me asking what caused the back pain? Was it an accident? Was it a fall? Was it no, no, nothing, nothing like that. Nothing. I actually do not know where it came out of, Gareth. I, I know I was very ill in 2015. I was on the show with PJ going back a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. about that. So I'm not going back into that story, right? But I've just been suffering now for a lot of years. I don't know. I was a hard worker. I was saying, is it down to years ago? Do you know, was it down to working? Was it, what was it like? I don't know. And I'm attending a back specialist now, you know, for injections now every now and again, but nothing seems to be working. How severe is the pain? Can you describe it? Say, for example, you you know, the old old gauge where zero is no pain, 10 is unbearable pain. Mm -hmm. I I'd have to I'd have to raise it a ten, Garrett. To be fair, ten. This is every day, every single day of my life in the last ten years. I've been like I have to limit myself into what I can do around the house. You know, yeah. Like I'm standing there washing wear. I have to do that very fast to be finished before this pain actually comes on, and it, it happens within about two minutes. God, and is that at, oh. that is that at night time as well? Oh, it's all day. It's all day from the time I get up in the morning, Gareth, until the time I go to bed. Hey, do you find relief from anything? I'm, I'm, I presume you're on pain medication, are you? I am. I am indeed on pain medication, but, I, but I'm on pain medication for other medical issues that I have at the moment. Right. And you can, know? can you tell me what medication you're on? 
I'm the, on, the like, I have ox, Oxynorm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one of the strong, stronger ones that I'm on, yeah. you know, but other than that, like, you know, I'm on other painkillers as well, but they're only, like, you know, paracetamol, salpidol, you know, things like that. And the oxy, the oxynorm is, is that the soluble one? Is that the one you pop into? No, it's a capsule. No, it's a capsule. Right, okay. Yeah, Does it Does it give you any relief? Um, it does on the other other medical issues that I have, but in my back, right. no. Okay. And have you had any MRI scans, Andrea? I've had an MRI scan and it came out. I it came out wear and tear or something, you know. Yeah. Well, I don't think it is. I think I have a severe something wrong with my back, severely wrong that n- no one is pinpointing. Right, because if it's nerve pain. Which would be neuropathy? They, the nerve, the nerves can show up on an MRI. I don't think they can show up on an X-ray. And obviously, trying to get an MRI, it would be easier to actually get through to the Pope. I know that's true, but I've had an MRI. I've had one MRI with my back, and it was down to wear. They say wear and tear, but it's actually so severe that as a result, I'm walking with a walking frame. Right. Okay. Well, look, t- thank you for coming on, Angela. I'm I'm so sorry to hear that the pain is that severe and it's just oh, constant. Um, and ho- constant. Yeah. Hopefully something will come along, but um, thanks for sharing your story anyway this morning. No problem, Gareth. Thank you. Thanks, Angela. Mind yourself. Take care. God bless. Thank you. Bye now. God bless you too, Gareth. Thank you. Thank Bye you. Bye. Now, Dope Sick, the documentary, uh, it's, it's a pretty scary documentary, is on Disney Plus. Okay, Disney Plus. If you subscribe, uh, Disney Plus is where you'll find it. And the book is available. In fact, it was in Vibes and Scribes there actually about a year ago, shortly after the COVID thing lifted and uh, picked up a secondhand copy of it there. Really frightening book, but uh, all true story. So it's on Disney Plus. Gareth, I heard you talking about <laughs> the massages and beauty therapy. My husband and I were in a well-established hotel a few years ago. We were both having massages. My husband's therapist was well aware that I was there with him. And before he left the room, she gave him her phone number. <laughs> We're both in our late 40s. How shocking. Uh, that's from Kira, uh, in brackets, made up name. <laughs> oh, look, you know, talk about gullible. I, I, was, I was one of these people, I don't know, for years and years and years. And that expression, happy ending, I used to think people left a massage parlor with a big smile on their face, actually. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Corks 96 FM. Looking out the window here at um, oh, a very, very rainy city, that's for sure. And I think it's it's all over the county. It's all over the country, I think, today. It's one of those days that reminds you that uh, our summer is a very, very brittle thing. And while we get these great blasts of sunshine and heat... Scorched grass and almost thirst during the month of June. Here we are towards the end of July and it's bucketing rain outside our window here and it's going to last for a day or two. But I've been told that next week we're back into good weather, high temperatures and blue skies again. So it'll be worth waiting for. Now, um, are you making memories with your kids this summer? Probably you'll just wipe today off. It's not such a great memory. Journalist Julie Helen has been writing about this for The Echo and Julie's on the line right now. Morning to you, Julie. Hi, Gareth. Lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too. And and I, you know, when I think about summer, um, I grew up 
in the 70s. So I, I, there, were th- there were three great summers, I remember. 74, 75, 76. I sound like a song now by the, the Connells. But uh, th- it was just end-to-end sunshine, warm days, T-shirts, shorts, sandals. Well, there's, there's an old dinosaur memory. And, um, you know, you, you couldn't wait to get out of bed in the morning get outside. During those summers we spent with um, my grandmother's family in Blarney so we were there when there were no houses there were no housing estates Blarney Village itself was pretty much identical to the way it is now. It has lasted with that beautiful uh, old world charm to it but we were out towards Elm Grove near the Seanach River and it was just wonderful. You know, walking across the the fields uh, paddling in the, the 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 shallow river there, they were great memories. And when somebody asks me, "But what did you do?" Nothing. We just existed. It was like an adventure, you know. And uh, I, I'm just wondering how different is it now for kids these well, days? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a little three-year-old called uh, Ricky, and I suppose I've I've been thinking about this for a while. And just, you know, there there is a lot of pressure on parents these days, I think, you know, to fill the days with um, exciting experiences and, and you know, spending a lot of money on expensive um, experiences and different things to do and whatnot. And you, we're bombarded as parents with all these advertisements for these different things. And I was just reflecting on you know, my own childhood actually occurred very close to where you're speaking to mm. near the Sharonuk as well. I'm just up in tower. Really? So, oh, yeah, um, that's where it was. Yeah. So when we were in, when we were kids, you know, it was out in the garden and we live on a farm. So we were out in the garden and we were, um, you know, we filled our days with God knows what as well. So now um, for my own little boy, I just really wanted to reflect and realize that actually it's those simple moments um, with friends or family or cousins and all of that, that that really matter to kids. And if you ask them about the exciting days and, you know, the things you spend huge money on, the things that they remember are the people who were there and the great fun that they had, you know. So Mm. it's just really lovely to see. And um, very recently with Ricky, he did his first summer camp ever, which was a local community one with his friend Ben. And they had a, a sleepover that night. And like they spent literally hours jumping from um, bed to mattress to bed to mattress and just having the height of hijinks and absolutely yeah. loving it, you know. And his question now every day is when can we go back and jump <laughs> on the bed? You know, and it's, yeah. it's not really about the summer camp or, you know, the money we paid for anything. It's, yeah. It was about the, the crash that they were having together and that's really gorgeous to see and I suppose I will be writing my column in Women on Wednesday in the Echo now for 20 years at the end of this year Mm. and what I'm really struck by um, in the stories that I tell is the common experience that we all have like you know that you're able to link your memories to my memories because it's the the personal experience and the connection that we have with each other. That's the real important piece. But I just have been seeing 
online in particular, a lot of pressure on parents, um, you know, particularly parents that have to work and that have to, you know, spend their their time um, protecting their children's future, that they might feel the pressure then of the summer. But actually, you know, <laughs> if the kids have a couple of mattresses, they'll be grand. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I had the same fun yeah. with my own brothers when we were kids. Mm. And... Um, you know, I, I'm a disabled person and when we were playing jumping from bed to bed to bed to bed, uh, we had a rule where I was allowed to fall between the beds three times before the shark <laughs> ate me <laughs> so that so that we could keep the, the, the game going for long enough. So it is really about the simple things and enjoying the fun yeah, I remember with each that other. The, the, uh, the, the space between the beds was the sea, wasn't it? That's where the shark gets Yeah, yeah. the sea or it could be lava. <laughs> You know, yeah. depending on the day, but I always had to have a bit of leeway so that I could fall a couple of times because otherwise we wouldn't have had a game. So <laughs> we had to um, yeah. adapt things very early, and that that's a very easy thing to do. And I think that's the gorgeous thing about kids and their imagination. You know, it can be anything, and and when kids are thrown in together, they'll they'll figure it out and have yeah. have great fun, and it's it's a a joy to watch. R- Ricky, you said. He's three, isn't that right? Is is he a confident confident little dude? Oh, he sure is. He absolutely is. And uh, he's asking all the questions now, solving all the problems of the world in his own head. Um, so so it's a really interesting time. And I'm in a lucky position to recently have been able to finish up full-time work to spend more time oh, with him. Um, so I suppose my eyes have been opened as well to you know, see see the magic in, in the everyday things. And for the first few weeks, certainly when I was facing into the summer, I did feel nervous about it. You know, my gosh, is he going to be bored or is he not going to enjoy himself when he's stuck with me all the time? <laughs> and, you know, that yeah. that hasn't been the case at all. He can find something exciting in, in the everyday. Just this morning, he hung a new bird feeder with my mum and he's looking up the book now to see which birds are going to come Excellent. to that bird feeder and yeah. you know it's, it's the simple things that will give him a richness of experience and then build him into the character of the person that he's going to be you know yeah. and and that's really uh, a joy as I said. Yeah and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there actually Julie like when, when you can see the wonder in the ordinary it's no longer ordinary like I, I find I sit if the weather is good now and we'll sit out on the little bit of decking in the back garden and the sunshine in the evening. And there's this great big plump wood pigeon who comes, he'll walk, he'll sort of strut his stuff, you know, waddle right up to me. And I, I, I just have this notion, like I've said to my wife, I said, you know, he knows who I am. <laughs> yeah, look at for me sure. We, really? <laughs> we have a robin in our garden, and Ricky yeah. makes a point of saying good morning to the robin oh, when he sees him. You know, beautiful. because he's part, he's part of the furniture and part of. And I suppose it's an appreciation of the nature that's around us, yeah. too. And growing up on a farm, we are really lucky to be fully surrounded by that and to always have grown up with the appreciation for the animals and the wildlife and the environment that's around us and that it's it's you know something to be cherished and and looked after and i i'm really grateful that i had that childhood um and as you say like when when i look back 
I, I think of those ordinary days in our own garden, the four of us together, absolute lunatics having the crack. Yeah. Um, and, you know, or, you know, going for the cows with dad and being shown all the different plants and animals and, and now being able to pass that on to the next generation, even though now we're officially within the city bounds, we still, you know, can, can pass all that on. And and that's really special, even if it's a day where it's lashing today, but you know, um, it's still, it's it's still great. And it's, it's lovely that uh, the readers can connect with those simple stories as well um, because I'm really passionate about writing about the ordinary stuff using ordinary language um, so that everybody can share our experience together rather than writing about the highbrow things that not everybody will be able to connect with you know the connection is the important thing at the end of the day yeah I fully agree with you and I remember when I moved to Cork from Dublin a few years back um, one of the things we did the Sunday, I think, after I, I moved was we we headed back out to Blarney. We were going to make a day of it. And I knew that my great-grandparents were buried in Matehi. Uh, did I pronounce that right? Because I know that's a big Cork thing. Nearly Moteha. Moteha. I'm going to have to write it down. You know? yeah. <laughs> but it's a beautiful, um, be- beautiful old, old graveyard. And many of the, the headstones, the, some of them are so old, they're gone. They're, you, you know, you can get a bad yeah. ankle injury by tripping over and falling <laughs> into these great big hollows. But uh, we found... Their, their their resting place and it was actually one of um, my my mother's cousins who sadly passed away there not too long ago but he had placed a great big white granite uh, rock on the, the, the spot that marked their grave and we spent a couple of hours in the afternoon looking around because the grass was hip high nearly you know and we found it yeah. and it just brought back so many memories instantly of when I was like sort of I'd say probably six seven eight years of age and you know playing around that area near the Sharnock River near Elm Grove as it was known and uh, just wonderful wonderful memories it really is a timeless thing summer holidays and being a kid Oh, for sure, for sure, and it's amazing the different things that will trigger your your memory on those on those different things, you know, mm. um, or you know when when you look out the window and see a different tree that's been cut down or or something has happened to the view, and you say, "Gosh, I remember when it looked so, such and such a way," and then you know certainly around our area my father and can tell of you know when housing estates were only fields and I now even find myself saying that you know that like (laughs) up in the area of Kerry Pike when we were kids and teenagers nobody was here and now it's you know a a bustling area turning into a bustling village so it's great to see uh, people coming in and enjoying our area as well and you know having we have a lot more kids in our area now over the last number of years as well and seeing them enjoy the area and have their summers here too is is something special it's you know so yeah. it's yeah absolutely priceless that's yeah. it and like i the, the fascinating thing i find about it is you can't 
I can't tell you that the the memories that Ricky is going to hang on to, you know, how they're going to look in his head. But from the age of three, three and a half, he's creating those memories now that um, that he will remember forevermore. So maybe one of these days of summer 2023 will be one of his lasting memories of, you know, the, while we while we lived here and um, while he was, lived in the house with his grandparents and, you know, grew up around his uncles and his cousins and, you know, Oh, it's just it's just I'm nearly getting emotional thinking about <laughs> yeah. it because it's it's a special a special thing to witness yeah absolutely Mick has just uh, called in he said goosebumps guys I grew up in Farron we used to walk to Blarney Tower fishing jumping rivers building dams to make our own swimming pools you're bringing it all back to me now Mick used to walk to the Anglers Rest fishing out all day happy out I was born in 1968 <laughs> people say you know some people say what was it like to be a kid in the 60s I thought it was fantastic it really really was and uh, I'd, I'd love to relive it again even just for a weekend it would be wonderful but they'd have to knock all the houses down <laughs> ah there's still chinks of fun around here you come for a wander and I'm no, sure you you'd haven't. find a few memories along the way oh there's plenty of beautiful trees that's for sure Julie great to chat that's to you it. Great. Thanks a million, Gareth. Great. Lovely to talk to and you. And to, to you and Ricky, have a lovely summer. Julie Helen there from The <laughs> Echo. Well, and uh, you can read her, her page every week. Now, back to football. Uh, the time is getting on. The hour is, is getting closer uh, for sports fans, and particularly soccer fans who are gathering all over the country, all over the world, and particularly in Perth and some of the big cities, particularly Sydney, which is practically Irish wall-to-wall at the stage. Uh, we're all looking forward to the Women's World Cup game, Ireland versus Canada, in just over an hour's time. And Joe Seward is on the line. Morning to you, Joe. Good morning, Gareth. You're going to watch the game at home today? Yeah, I'm going to settle for the, the coach today and maybe listen to the analysis rather than uh, heading to a hostelry today. Yeah, I suppose good choice, really. You know, I, I mean, you'd, you'd be soaked by the time you get to wherever you're going. What do you think? Um, it, 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 a lot of people are saying that there's a chance, but a lot of people are also saying that it could be all over this afternoon. What do you reckon? Well, it's it's a game that both countries need to get something out of. Uh, Canada, who would have come into the group as you know the seventh ranked side in the world, they're the reigning Olympic champions. Uh, they would have been maybe disappointed with their opening game, a draw with Nigeria, and a missed penalty in that game. Uh, and given that they'll be playing Australia in their last game, they need to get something out of this today. Defeat for either side today would probably end their interest in in the World Cup. So. Both sides will be looking to get something out of it. In particular, Canada, I would imagine, will be targeting the win. As I say, their resume is good, given that they are the reigning Olympic champions. But, you know, historically, they haven't uh, maybe overachieved at World Cups. They've been a bit disappointing when it's come to the World Cup. They've often gone into World Cups with big reputations, given, you know, their players are applying their trade at the, at, at the very highest trade. So... They've kind of underachieved down the years, but you know, going into the, this World Cup, they would have been seen, along with Australia, as the likely team to qualify out of the group. Mm. Um, Christine Sinclair, now she's, she's a pretty remarkable player for Canada, isn't she? She is. She's been capped 324 times wow. for, for Canada. She scored 190 goals, and 
you know, I mentioned the missed penalty for Canada in their last game against uh, Nigeria. Unfortunately, it was Christine who missed it. But if she had scored that goal, she would have created a bit of history. Um, only three players have scored in five World Cups, uh, and they are Cristiano Ronaldo and the brilliant um, Brazilian women's player Marta, and Christine Sinclair was the third. So Christine could have gone out on her own and, and created history by scoring at six World Cups but she missed that penalty. It was a decent save by the Nigerian keeper, but uh, she has an opportunity today and in, in the final group game to create that bit of history. But definitely the Canadian captain, she is one of the, the marquee players at this World Cup and her longevity has to be lauded, 40 years of age uh, and still you know, playing at the, the very highest level. Mm. And uh, as, as you probably agree, all eyes will be on Louise Quinn. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, Louise Quinn had got injured in the game against uh, Australia. No, I still haven't got the, the starting lineup, but yesterday evening she she did train with the Irish team. She was wearing a protected boot for a few days after the, that injury uh, against Australia. But Vera Poe was pretty adamant that she would line up according to reliable sources. So she's huge in the greater scheme of things for Ireland. Ireland will look to keep it very tight as they did against Australia, and stay in the game as long as possible. Um, invariably, a little bit like our men's team, our best chances of scoring tend to be from set pieces, or corner kicks, free kicks. So the goal today, you'd imagine, will be to stay competitive, stay in the game. Both teams are very strong defensively, um, but you know it would be a nightmare for Ireland to concede early in the game because our game is based about defending, staying tight. Um, and you know if we're going to chase the game, it's going to make life more difficult. Although some of the best football we played against Australia was when the need was greatest late on and we did chase the game. And some people, you know, some observers feel that maybe Vera Poe, that her tactics are a little too conservative. But, you know, who are we to argue with Vera Poe? That, she no, got us to this tournament. Yeah. Joe, great to chat to you. Enjoy the game. Thanks a lot. No problem, Gareth. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thanks. That's Joe Seward there. Best of luck, Megan Connolly from Douglas and Denise O'Sullivan from Knocknahini in the Irish World Cup today. That's from all of us here at Cork's 96FM. Today's show was edited by, edited by Emer O'Hay and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you to Wayne on the desk. We're back in the morning from nine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.